Are you a high school athlete or parent of a high school athlete who wants to play sports at the college level, but you just don't know how to get the recruiting process started? Are you looking to get more exposure? Do you need more information about the recruiting process? Do you want to know how to find the right college that fits your interests and is the right level of competition? Well, have no fear. NCSA Next College Student Athlete is here for you. Call recruiting specialist Steve Penkoski at 312-579-2583 to get your free recruiting assessment done today and help get on track to find the perfect college for you at any scholastic and athletic level anywhere in the country. In just 30 to 45 minutes, you can be on the path to living the dream of playing college sports and getting a degree at the same time. Call Steve now at 312-579-2583 and tell him AJ Kirsch sent you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch, a tell-all podcast 10 years after Season 5 of WWE Tough Enough. I am your host, Season 5 contestant AJ Kirsch, and this week is Part 2 with Tough Enough contestant Michael Zaki. On Episode 2 of Tough Talk, we chronicled his entire journey in pro wrestling from using it as his introduction and reference to American culture when he moved from Paris to New Jersey as a kid to beginning his career as an independent wrestler from marking out over Hulk Hogan's sweat to marking out over Scott Hall's piss. We cover his entire journey right up until the casting process of Tough Enough and that's where we pick it up this week. A ton of ways you can support the podcast. You can subscribe on your podcast provider of preference by going to thetoughtalkpod.com. You can rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help get more eyes and ears on the podcast. You can follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Tough Talk Pod. You get access to early and ad-free episodes, full-length bonus episodes, exclusive content, and entries from the journal I kept during the filming of the show by going to patreon.com slash AJ Kirsch and signing up for the Money Talks tier. Right now, we're going to hear from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to dive into part two with Michael Zaki. If you've ever considered pursuing a career in pro wrestling, you know how important it is to train at a reputable school, which is why Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch is proud to be sponsored by Stoner U, home of higher learning, pro wrestling dojo in Oakland, California, who are very proud, by the way, of their graduates, the ballsy badass Shotzi Blackheart, who is tearing it up in NXT, and undefeated WWE 205 Live superstar Mansoor. Call Rick Scott Stoner at 510-677-9142 or shoot them a message at facebook.com slash stonerbrothersu. Stoner U, your home of higher learning. And we're rolling. Part two with uh, Tough Enough contestant Michael Zaki. Hey, bro. Hey, homie. How you feeling? Uh, I feel great. It feels like uh, we were just here like a month or so ago because we had just uh, worked out. We just smashed some smash burgers, yeah. and uh, now we're gonna sit down and geek out about wrestling and talk about tough enough. And because um, we didn't even get to tough enough last time, we started uh, at Hulk Hogan's sweat, and we ended at Scott Hall's piss, <laughs> and you marking out for both, Man, which was amazing. Did I get that graphic really? You did. No, you did. Which is which is great. That's what I want. I want the graphic details on this show. That's why we're here. Hell yeah! And we spent you know the whole morning again, just like geeking out about wrestling more than anything else of course being meatheads and 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 just kind of catching up yeah man we were doing like pull-ups to 
WWE fucking run DMC on. doing DX's theme. Yeah, we busted yeah, out dude. some aggression. Of course. That was some that was the kind of stuff I used to do back when I was like 16 and right. like all about it. And I, I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. Now I lift to like, you know, podcasts. podcasts. And, and man, I miss doing that. That's why I want I was like, I'm gonna we were we were listening to like uh Rage and uh Cypress Hill. Right. And like I was just like, you know what? It was really the Cypress Hill. It was insane in the membrane that I was thinking. I was like, they did that Taz song. We started talking about that. I'm like, fuck it. Let's throw on some entrance <laughs> themes. Let's let's fucking lift. Like again, we're 16, 17 Hell years yeah, old. Man. It was a, it was a really good time. And then just now we were talking about like dream matches that never that exchange with Austin and Lesnar on Twitter. That the office was like, what the fuck are you doing? We can't capitalize on this. Right. We can't make this a thing. And so I was like about to get into dream matches that never happened and i was like fuck it let's just start rolling and let's start let's start with geeking out on wrestling we will eventually circle around to scott hall's piss <laughs> and then go from there to your tough enough experience which yeah. which is you know ultimately that's what i'm i know we're going to get to that i don't really care how long it takes to get there because it's been a fucking blast so far right so and we've got like hours ahead of us so like we i'm not we're not in any type of rush we're just gonna we're gonna make this shit happen hell yeah so in my opinion the biggest dream match that never happened was Shawn Michaels versus The Rock. Really? Yes. And and I know Austin Hogan is is probably up there as the dream match that never happened. Austin Goldberg, I think, is also another one. But could you just imagine the buildup, the promos oh between God. a 2002 Rock and a, and a fresh off his comeback 2002 Shawn Michaels. There was no one cooler for me than a fresh off his comeback clean Shawn Michaels. Yeah. He came back and he was just more like spiritful. Like he was just had so much oomph and gumption and he'd come out to the H. Well, the great thing about that comeback, it was around 2002. Right? 2002, yeah. The great thing about that HBK comeback is that he had been gone long enough back then, especially since we didn't have access to like. We couldn't, you know, geek out over nostalgia on wrestling through YouTube or through whatever. Right. You had to be a tape trader or have tapes or DVDs or recordings or whatever if you want to watch some old school stuff. But the cool thing about Shawn Michaels at the time is that he had been gone just long enough that it felt like a long time. Four years. But not so long that you forgot what Shawn Michaels was all about. You know why it felt like a long time, though? It's because the company had changed so much. The business had changed so much. He left in in, uh, March of 98 after his match. He dropped the title to Steve Austin at WrestleMania Mm -hmm. 14. And this was March of 98. And so WWF at the time was still very much entrenched with this war with WCW. Right. ECW was still making noise. Attitude Era was picking up and gaining steam. If you look at WWF in 98 and WWE in 2002, they are worlds apart. It evolved so quickly over those four years. And I don't think wrestling has experienced that accelerated in evolution since because when wwe squashed its competition i think ever since it's felt largely the same yeah and so that four years that Shawn michaels was gone felt like a lot longer just because of how much the business had changed you're right and so Shawn michaels had left just as the business was starting to traject right into that space and that's when he was just basically bowing out for however long he was going to battle right. for. And it was a different Shawn Michaels that came back. Like you said, he was just full of like, just clean passion. Yeah. He didn't have the the sneered lip and, you know, wasn't given <laughs> this angry fan at ringside the like tickle of the balls and like sucking his <laughs> dick, which there is a gif out there of Shawn Michaels doing that, which is hilarious to this very day. But it was just a much more centered, uh, 
Yeah, clean just keeps coming to mind. Focused, Sean. Michaels. Focused, I'm yeah. Incredibly less, focused. Sean less Michaels. bitterness, less negativity, and more. I think focus. Yeah. Focus is a great way of putting it. At this point, that Shawn Michaels was so good because there were there were no distractions, there were no addictions to deal with. Yeah, there were no like you know relationship situations to deal with. Sure, his 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 situations had definitely leveled out, stabilized. Yeah. I mean, he had sta- a stable home life, right? right? A beautiful wife, Nitro Girl Whisper, I believe. That's right. How lucky is that guy, dude? The Nitro Girls. He just he sees what? the Nitro Girls. He's like, who's that? You know what I'm saying? Like, how lucky is that dude? Nitro Girl Whisper was sm- a smoke show. Could you imagine if there was social media back then and that had gotten out that Shawn Michaels, WWF headliner, perhaps champion at the time, actually married a Nitro Girl? <laughs> the internet would have exploded. It would have been a huge deal. It would have been crazy. Seriously. So he comes back. He's married to this beautiful, stable person. He's got a uh, he's got kids now. I right. think a son at the time. Found God. Right. Found religion. He, he found religion, cleaned his act up. And so you could see that when he came back, there were no distractions. And the only thing that Shawn Michaels loves more at the time, at least, more than his family and his faith, was pro wrestling. Right. So you could see the love in his performance. You could see him when he come out and you would hear the, you know, HBK theme song playing boom, 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 boom. Ah, right. Ah, and he would come out and you could see him just taking all the adulation. And at this point, he's a 40 year old man, but he's still shaking it and being a sexy boy and, right. and doing the, you know, the sexy like stripper dance. Doing the and flex doing and the, the, the dance. Yeah. And he knows like, all right, I'm 40 and I'm still doing this, but it's fun. Yeah. And they're having fun with me. And I feel no type of way about this outside of. Just adulation and love, right? And people would love Shawn Michaels. He would come out, and people would do the you know you're bowing to him like we're not worthy. And he would uh and he would put on just these masterful performances. Yeah, Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. Shawn Michaels oh, versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. Amazing. Shawn Michaels versus I mean, how many times did did him and Triple H have these outstanding matches? Which it might not be you know popular to say, but. Triple H for me is hit or miss yeah. when it comes to his matches. Yeah, I think it depends on who he's working with. It depends on who he's working with. He's, I mean, let's, you know, don't get me wrong. He's the game. He's amazing. He's a megastar, sure. Right. But, but like, not all of his matches are exactly the most exciting. No. And I know but that's because he's kind of an old school worker. And I dig that. You know, take your time, methodical. Very Harley race. Very Harley racey. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can appreciate that. But when you're doing that with like someone that's just also kind of lumbering through a match, and neither of you are carrying each other through a match as someone that, you know, that's probably never had a good match. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a mark, as Keep a Keep fucking up those finishes, kid. <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a mark, as a fan, I would, it was watching that Shawn Michaels was the first time I started watching pro wrestling through the eyes of an artist. Oh, interesting. It was the first time because before that, I'd only watched it as a fan. Right. Let's pop for this this baby face. Let's boo this heel. Or if I felt like some, you know, if I enjoyed a heel, I'm popping for the heel, booing this crappy baby face. I'm I'm a mark. I'm a fan. I'm I'm engaging as an audience member should. Right. When Shawn Michaels came back in 2002, you were kind of on the other side of the curtain at that point. You know, by that point, I'm or like se- starting to. Yeah, I'm 17, so I'm smartened up. Right. I'm older. You know, internet culture and pro wrestling are starting to merge now. Yeah. So you're starting to get a better grasp of wrestling history wrestling inside culture things of that sort I, i'm reading the dirt sheets sure you know things like that and uh and so they you know like the internet's kind of letting you know hey Shawn michaels back here's why we've always loved Shawn michaels mm-hmm. and i got to appreciate his career prior to 2002 through completely different lenses and it made me fall in love with Shawn michaels so deeply that when he came back 
I was like, this guy is outstanding. Right. And you could really see the the um the the focus, the love, the adulation, the fun he was having. Right. And there is no more fun as a fan than watching performers have fun themselves. Absolutely. He he came back and there was very there's absolutely less less bravado, less arrogance, less I'm the shit and I know it. Right. And more like, oh yeah. I forgot how fun this was. Yeah. When he was able to relax a little bit. And like you said, he stabilized his home life, his addictions, um, was just really on track to being just a better, more balanced human. And just had so much fun when he came back. And you're right. When you can, when I'm watching a drummer, for example, like just like make faces and snarl and stick their tongue out, it is, and like, you know, just like crashing their whole body along with what they're playing. It's or like watching a, a guitar player like just close their eyes and just like their face starts doing shit. Like like <laughs> they're talking through the guitar. Like those moments where somebody just is just absolutely present in what they're doing makes it so much fun it to is. watch. It's, it's, it's part of you know why live performance is so addicting yeah. to be part of. Yeah, and to watch and to be in to actually perform through in that when there's this relationship that happens between in live performance between performer and audience whereas when you're both on that same frequency of we're both we've both hit this exact same frequency of fun right that takes place it's almost like you've both hypnotized each other into this space where everything is awesome yeah exactly it's the shared experience that this these artists are creating that the crowd is a hundred percent there for and feeding that energy back to the performer and then the performer feeds it back it's it's a beautiful it's dance almost, it's almost a religious spiritual almost. right right it's so overwhelming because how do you describe i mean we're trying our hardest to articulate what this is and we're still kind of failing right how do you describe what that is how do you explain what you know what that energy is what that that relationship between performer and audience and how it melds into one monster right one happy loud one large mass of humanity that's all living the same moment it's i mean there's no comparison no how, you know you can't watch i i had the best time going to see uh Kong versus Godzilla uh-huh. on IMAX by myself. No one was in the theater. Oh, that's great. It was amazing. And it's huge. <laughs> IMAX is enormous. And right. It, don't get me wrong. It is not a good movie, but it was 100% so much fun, fun right. watching Kong and Godzilla and the fighting and the this and the that. Destroying shit. Two hours of just carnage and having <laughs> so much fun. I could never, I could never have the same viewing experience watching, say, just a stand up comic. Right. Just who's on a roll. And just having the whole room just like bent over belly laughing and just can't catch their breath. It's incomparable. You have a, say, you know, $200 million budget for this monumental movie. Right. And you have this one guy telling funny stories to a couple of people, you know, to people in the audience. And while one is a lot of fun, the other one is magical. Right. It's absolutely magical, which is why, you know, this lockdown and quarantine and COVID, it's important that everything is, you know, that everybody's safe. But Man, when it comes back, <laughs> when shit opens up and yeah. shows come back and that like being away, I mean, 100% absence makes the heart grow fonder. And and I don't think anybody is going to come back to this with less of an appreciation for that in-person performance connection between performer and audience. And it's people are just oh, we're so close. Don't fuck this up. Get vaccinated for fuck's <laughs> sake, please. Mask. 
wear your mask, socially distance. We're not out of this yet, people, but please get vaccinated so we can get back to live shows. Yeah. Shit. L- live performance, live shows is everything. Right. There's, I mean, theater, whether it's theater through Broadway or theater through pro wrestling. Right. Theater is necessary. It's concerts. Really, concerts. Ugh. I miss comedy. So comedy. All of it. All Everything. of it. We all need it back. Absolutely. I want to go uh, circle back to uh, Shawn Michaels coming back because I have a theory that I want to run by you. Okay. Um. So remember in like April of 96, uh, you know, Scott Hall left. Kevin Nash was on his way out. Shawn just beat him in like a no DQ match or something at Good Friends, Better Enemies, which is one of the best taglines in the history of pro wrestling. <laughs> Such a good tagline. Tag this is In Your House, April of 96. I missed the In Your Houses. They were fun. Yeah. They had a fucking shitty house set up, too. They would like walk out of the front door. Like, <laughs> terrible. Amazing. Um, so Shawn had just beaten Nash. It was his last match before going to WCW. I think he used uh, Mad Dog for Shawn's. Like his leg, his, his leg. He ripped. He, the, his he like <laughs> batter up him from the corner. Oh my god! I totally forgot. about I think Lou that. Albano was also in the front row. Yeah. It was like they had legends in the front. Tony right. Atlas, maybe, probably. Yeah, maybe. Like, yeah, that sounds actually that sounds right. Yeah, he, yeah. So anyway, it's all coming back to me right now. After the match, Sean, uh, you know, he like pinned Nash, and then he actually like very clearly motioned like you like he's pointing at nash on the ground and then points to like the entryway as if like you can get the fuck out and like you very clearly see him send him on the way sean nash is out of the ring sean is is center of the ring now he's like motioning to the camera he's like come on and then he does hulk hogan's like side oh, chest pose right. like one arm up higher That's than the right. other so here's here's my theory because even when sean came back there was a little bit Especially when he was working with Hogan, we saw HBK come out. Yeah. We saw some ego. That's right. We saw some I can outwork you, brother. I think at that point HBK allowed himself. He goes, All right, I've been I've been a good boy. I've been on my best behavior. Right. I've shown that I've changed. But I mean, truth be told, People change, sure, but you can only change so much. You're you're always people grow. People yes, perfect. People People grow. But Shawn Michaels, the performer. He still had that ego, right? He still had that, and he and he's standing here going, and, and again, I love Hulk Hogan, but you know he's going. All right, now I have to turn heel for your monkey ass, right? And I have to change this entire trajectory of my career that I've been having post, you know, return and having this great time just because you you need to be the baby face. And but here's 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 the theory. Like I I I, I think it's a valid point. Like, but I mean, Hogan at that point wasn't going to go heel. Like Hogan, right. Hogan, the nostalgia was still so strong with Hogan that like they, it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, he came back for a month and they booed Rock out of the building at WrestleMania, yeah. <laughs> which is a perfect segue into my theory. Did Shawn Michaels in early 2002 see Hulk Hogan come back to such an amazing reaction in such amazing shape and immediately get catapulted to the main event? Did Shawn say, see that and say to himself... If fucking Hulk Hogan can come back, <laughs> I can come back. Wow, I never even thought of that. And again, this is just a theory. I this is just me being a fucking total mark and just being like, is was this is any of this coming from Sean's ego? Mm. And just being like, you know, because going back to '96, he was doing the side pose. He's right. like, come on. He knew he could work circles around Hulk Hogan in 1996. He, right, Sean could almost at any point in his career work circles around Hogan 
And so I'm wondering if there was just a little part, a little bug, a little voice in the back of Shawn Michaels' head, even after he had changed and cleaned up and found religion and, you know, became a much more stable human being, if he was like, fuck Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I can fucking do this. I can come back, too. Like, and not to say that, it, that he didn't have a desire to come back. I'm sure he missed pro wrestling dearly. There's a part of me that just wonders because that ego was never really it, it was more under control when Sean came back. But as we saw, it never really completely went away. No. There was still always a little bit 97, 98 HBK in there somewhere. He wasn't going to tell everybody to suck it. Right. Emotion for a fan to you know <laughs> suck his dick at ringside. I wonder. I wonder. I think that's an excellent theory. And I wouldn't be surprised if that might have been not the main, but one of many things. One of many stars to have aligned for him to sit back and go, I've cleaned up my act. My home life is stable. Right. Some of the, you know, worse or or, or, or terrible influences in my life are gone. Right. Um, and I'm healthy. My back is better. Right. <laughs> um, my knees, my hips, everything feels all right. I think I'm I think I'm feeling all right. I think I'm physically feeling okay. He, if he takes a look at himself in the mirror and he puts on his tights and goes, I don't look embarrassing. Okay, sure. great. How's my hairline looking? It's passable for now. Right. Okay. I mean, at least he's not going as bald as Hogan was. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he had enough where he could, like, he knew, and he was a smart enough worker, too, where he's like, he could probably feel it flopping. So he's like, I got to sell this way. Cover it up a little bit. What a magical worker. Hey, I mean, attention to detail unparalleled. But anyway, and, I, would and again, imagine, I don't know if there's any validity to that, but I, it's a thought I It have. makes a lot of sense. There were a lot of returns that were happening around that time. I, and it's funny because I forget that it was around the time that Hogan had made his return. The NWO had made their had right? shown up to the WWE. I remember that whole thing. Dude. And how, how brilliant was it, too, that they popped up at No Way Out with yes. initials NWO. NWO. And, and the crazy part is that the NWO came. Oh, my. So. We're gonna no. We have plenty of time to geek out. We're gonna get to tough enough. I swear to God, we're gonna get to tough enough. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about the NWO. Well, as a, yeah, as a giant Hollywood Hogan mark. By the time WCW was wrapping up, Hollywood had left, and Hulk Hogan, Red and Yellow Hulk, had that's come right, back. That's right. That's right. And it was like, okay, cool. We can be nostalgic about it. And here's Red and Yellow Hulk, WCW style. That smaller, more southern style of Red and Yellow. Right. Like the themes. I mean, I might be one of the few people that actually really dug the WCW theme song. American Made? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, he's American (laughs) Made. Dude. It was great. It was just. I'm sure that was a Jimmy Hart jam. It absolutely was. Had to be. I'm sure. And um, so that Hulk Hogan had come back. And then Russo comes in. We're living in the Russo era of WCW. (laughs) And. And now he's not Hollywood Hogan. He's not Hulk Hogan. He's actually Terry Bollea. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, was that when he jobbed to Billy Kidman? It was when he jobbed to Billy Kidman. That's right. He would come out and he would have, he would wear a vest with black tights. And it was like, and he, on the back of his vest, it said F U N B. And he'd come out and he'd be like, Fuck you, Nickelback? <laughs> NB stands for new oh, blood. Oh, new blood. That's right. You figure out the FU, brother. And it was like, oh, Jesus. You can see that once a, um, once a, a performer finds that their spirit animal in a character. Yeah. Terribly finds Hulk Hogan or Hollywood Hogan. Sure. Richard Flair finds Ric Flair. You know, Michael Hickenbottom finds Shawn Michaels. Right. Whatever his face, whatever his name is, finds Triple H. God, what's Hunter? Paul Levesque. Paul Levesque, thank you. Like, once they find that spirit animal in their gimmick, 
and they they kind of coerce into one single human being, it's this wonderful thing. And then they kind of get lost in the gimmick that sometimes, if not most of the time, the gimmick is actually more of who they are than what they actually are. It gives them permission to be more of who they are on the inside because they can say, it's a character, brother. Bingo. Or if they're old school, they can go, it's whatever you see isn't a character. I'm always this guy. Right. Even, you know, just really, truly working it. Um, So it was weird when you see guys that, listen, you found your spirit animal in Hulk Hogan or in Hollywood Hogan. Why would you be terribly Mm. F-U-N-B? That's not working. Hey, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you found your spirit animal in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Why would a heel turn an alliance with Vince McMahon? Right. And we were talking had, about that earlier. Yeah. Why? That's not. You know, there's no, there's no hand and glove fit in that. Mm-hmm. You're you're trying to clumsily force, uh, you know, shock and awe. Right. But pro wrestling isn't about forcing shock and awe. It's about organic shock and awe. Right. Like, oh my God, the return of. Whatever, Jericho, Edge, that's an, that's an organic, like, wow. Right. Forcing that shock and awe feels, you know, fans can feel that forced. Yep. And I think that's why they shit on a lot. I think that's why they shit on Roman Reigns for a lot of, yeah. for a lot of years. It's just because it's like WWE is very clearly like, this is our guy. This guy. Which means he's your guy. That's right. And fans, I don't care who you are. Fans, human beings in general, don't like being told how to feel yeah, about somebody or anything. Right. Absolutely. So when you're sitting there and and they're telling you, "Hey, this is the guy you're gonna you're gonna pop for," and you have no say in this right. relationship, right? The whole point of having a, a, a pro wrestling industry is that you have uh, a performative art that has a direct feedback relationship with right. the audience. Is when WWE swallowed up ECW and WCW, did it take away the fans' voice? Yes. Yes, absolutely it did. Because, I mean, the WWE, WWF at the time had no choice but to listen to the fans when, uh, when they WWE were was breathing down their neck. for their lives, yeah. Or when ECW was starting to become this counterculture revolutionary form of pro wrestling. Oh my God, they had to give the fans what they really wanted, what they were vocal about saying what they want. We want Austin, we want DX, right. we want the NWO. The monopoly on wrestling took away their choice. It took away their say. Right. It took not just their choice in, in, you know, a large palette of pro wrestling. I mean, I mean, their choice of like who they can get behind because yeah. there was only one show in town. So it's like, well, right. now we're, we're going to tell you who are, who the guy is. We're going to tell you who right. the company guy is rather than you tell us. And you have no say over it as an audience. So it used to be that as, as an audience, they would go off of, you know, Pops. Fucking Bruce Pritchard would stand in the crowd at house shows and TV and listen to the crowd respond to people and decide what to do with them. I mean, how much better feedback, direct feedback can you get from from a your paying audience? Right. Your audience is telling you what they're wanting to pay you for, and you're telling them, nah, 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 nah. Usually you have to pay somebody for market research. (laughs) The crowd is paying you for market research. And I I think Paul Heyman kind of I mean the truth is Vince McMahon the, the way he'd always run his company is here's my vision and the audience will eventually get behind my vision and he'll just kind of bullheadedly hammer it see it through to the very end and even if it's a failure at the end he can go well big deal my company my vision right but say for example a company like ECW when I first found ECW I still remember I had uh I'd stayed home from school. I think it was in the sixth grade. I stayed home from school. My mom kept me home because I woke up with the flu, a fever, just gnarly, just gross in the gills, green in the gills, coughing, sneezing, fever, just feeling like dog shit. Yeah. Which is always um, 
Like, okay, physically you feel awful, but you're 12 years old and you get to be home on a school day. Hell yeah. So you get to watch Price is Right. Yes, Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. <laughs> you're probably going to see Maury and, uh, you know, whose yeah. baby daddy is who. Yeah. And, like, I'm going to watch some daytime TV. Hell like, yeah. Hell yeah. But, um, so I'm home that whole day and I'm just sick just to my guts. I go to sleep that night and I'm just tossing and turning, tossing and turning. And I wake up and it's like two in the morning. And I'm like, uh, so I put the TV on in my room uh-huh. and you were 12 years old. You had a TV. You yeah. Lucky motherfucker. I was pretty lucky. You're wow. right. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, you know what it was? My parents didn't want loud ass pro wrestling on downstairs. So they're like, here, have a TV. Yeah. So oh, here's man. your TV with your pro wrestling and leave Sweet us alone. deal. Because we, man, wrestling was always on. Right, right. If it wasn't something that was on live, it was like a DVD or a VHS tape. Something was playing. Something sure. pro wrestling was playing. And uh, so they're like, fuck it, you win. <laughs> leave us alone. Here's your TV in your room. Just yeah. you and your brother go. And, um, the uh, so I put the TV on and I'm flipping through the channels. It's two in the morning, so it's infomercial. It's uh, do you remember that infomercial? Set it and forget it. Sure do. I'm watching that. I'm 12 and <laughs> everything looks delicious. <laughs> Prime ribs. I could totally do that at home. I can make that shit yeah. with this thing. I just have to set it and forget it. Yeah. <laughs> I want two of these. I'm flipping through the channels and I'm on MSG Network. Uh huh. And MSG Network at two o'clock in the morning. Usually it's Madison like, Square Garden Network. Yeah, okay. it's, it's th- this was strictly like an East Coast affiliate. Channel. Right. Yeah. I think it ran. I mean, in addition to ECW, it ran some WWF. Did or maybe not because they not at the it. time. Okay. It it would eventually. Right. It would okay. Actually, there, there it is. It would it would actually play WWF Classic. Okay. Before WWE started their on demand service, right. which is all precursor to their network. Sure. Okay. Got it. So, um, but at the time it was just MSG Network. It had nothing on, usually basketball games, whatever was playing at MS, Madison Square Garden, it, or it was mostly infomercials. Yeah. But sure shit, I put MSG on, and I see a wrestling ring in on my television, but this isn't any pro wrestling I've ever seen before. It looks like, usually I see an arena full of thousands of people. I'm seeing a couple hundred people here, and they are vicious yeah and they are snarling and growling and foaming at the mouth and in the rest inside the ring i see uh this guy um who's wrapped in headdress and uh and he's just beating the crap out of another guy with a high ponytail and i'm just i don't know who these guys are i just all of a sudden see them beating the crap out of each other one guy gets out of the ring and immediately grabs a chair goes inside and starts swinging the chair and smacking him up over the place. Goes to the top rope. Jumps off the top rope. As he's jumping in the top rope, sits the chair under his ass to hit a leg drop. An actual chair leg drop on his opponent. And you hear uh, Joey Styles at the time go, oh my god! Yes! Arabian face buster! <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what is this? And then you hear Michael St- uh, Joey Styles go, that is the one, the only, the homicidal genocidal, suicidal, the one and only Sabu. And he points to the sky and everyone points, the whole audience points up and everyone's like, Sabu. And I was like, what is this shit? <laughs> and why didn't he get disqualified? Yes. The match is still going on. Right. Where's the, the ref? There's just, rules. There's rules to pro wrestling. <laughs> he should be disqualified, this guy. The dude that got his ass Arabian smashed or whatever does a kip up, a spinning heel hook kick or some shit and does grabs the chair, swings it all over the place, throws it in his face, and does a giant, like, amazing martial arts kick to the face. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? 
And he's not kind of introducing himself, but man, does he look familiar. Yeah. And he's doing all this stuff, this amazing movement. He's doing a split leg moonsault. He's doing a rolling thunder. He dove outside of the ring to the audience. Right. Over the barricade. Over the barricade. <laughs> inside the audience. I had never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> you can't do that in pro wrestling. Mm. They cut to the back. And this is what back when... uh. Uh, Paul Heyman used to have his ECW shows. Oh, I'm sorry. This was ECW. That's what it was. Right. <laughs> I never told the audience. My bad. <laughs> and um, so I'm watching ECW. I'm sure they got it. <laughs> I'm watching it for the first time, and I'm blown away. Pro wrestling can be this? Yeah. This is some vicious, brutal – it scared me. It legitimately, as a 12-year-old, it actually scared me, but in the kind of way that, like, you know, you're like, if you – you watch a scary movie when you're 12 and you, right. you kind of hide your eyes and you look. The violence, the, um, the, uh, the lack of, of structure scared me. The presentation. The presentation was unbelievable. They cut to the back and I'd never seen anything like this before too. They cut to the back and it's promo after promo after promo after promo all scored to uh, the Pulp Fiction song. You know, bam, 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 yes, bam, yes. bam, and so that song is playing the entire time, and they cut to a guy named the Sandman, and he's got a <laughs> he's got a giant kendo stick or a sing, uh, what are you called? That same thing, Singapore yeah, cane, Singapore same cane, thing. and he's got a cigarette in his mouth, and he's wrapped in barbed wire that's actually poking into his skin, <laughs> and he's bleeding, and he's like, "I'm the Sandman, and I'm gonna beat the shit out of you." And I'm like, you can't say that. <laughs> and they, they keep playing this Pulp Fiction music, and then they cut to, uh, you know, a, a young, good-looking dude who's like, my name is Tommy Dreamer, and I'm going to make things happen for myself here in extreme championship wrestling. I am the innovator of violence. And he cut his promo, and then they cut to, oh, shit, there's the dude with the ponytail. Yeah. And he's sitting there, and he's got this little friend, this little guy, uh, like a little referee with a whistle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, fuck. What's that guy's name again? Bill, great job, bro. Bill Alfonso. Bill Alfonso. Thank you. I totally knew that. Yeah. And so this guy, Bill Alfonso, is doing all the talking. And he's screaming and he's blowing his whistle. And he's going into, off into the microphone going, this guy's the man right here. He's going to be the best champion pro wrestling's ever seen. And you're going to see him do this. And you're going to see him do that. And then they cut to this guy. And he goes, hey, super smooth. Not yelling. Yeah. Not, not grunting. Just a very different kind of pro wrestler, smiling, his his eyes very heavy. Of course. And he goes, it doesn't make you bad losing to Rob Van Dam. It just makes you like everybody else. And I went, oh, I love that guy. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that guy. Yeah. The next day, I went on AIM. Yeah, sure. AOL Instant Messenger. That's right. And I changed my screen name from what it had been at the time, Stinger84. Uh-huh. To RVD84. Nice. Because that dude was, oh, that guy's amazing. I've been one of the biggest Rob Van Dam marks since. Well, you grew up a martial artist, too. On top of everything else. And I love Jean-Claude Van Dam. <laughs> right. So here's a guy that looks like him. Can do the splits can like him. Can do the him. splits. But he was so much cooler. Dripping with swag. Yeah, absolutely. And at the time, I didn't understand RVD 420. I didn't get the whole, the weed gimmick. Sure. I didn't get the, that he's a martial artist wrestler, but he's a stoner. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand any of it, but I loved all of it. Yeah. And he had the coolest uh, ring gear. His um, airbrushed shit. Singlet. Singlet. Always airbrushed with cool shit. And yeah, dude, it was. So it only took one 30 second promo with a screaming, methed out Bill Alfonso. <laughs> I don't know if he actually is on meth, but the way, I mean, I, I you know, you just look at him and you're just like, that man, that man's trying. I've, I've wrestled in Florida for a while. I can, yeah. yeah you know what I mean? He had the busted grill and everything. But. 
10, 10 words out of RVD and immediately like, sorry, Stinger. Sorry. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I mean, Sting barely ever spoke anyways, but like I was so used to pro wrestlers sounding like pro wrestlers. Right. And that's, no, not that it was a bad thing, but here's this guy that isn't screaming, isn't pointing or or being snarly or foaming at the mouth or promising he's going to destroy somebody or this he's not being passionate he's being super laid back super cool and he's letting you know that it hey man don't take don't take it personal doesn't make you bad right losing the rob van dam just makes you like everybody else so such a departure different different and that's something that i again i think since WWE became the monopoly on pro wrestling, which nowadays, you know, thank God it's not anymore with AEW and, you know, Impact is making noise. Ring of Honor is making like it's it's I think wrestling's in a really good place right now where WWE is not the only place you can go and make a living doing it. But there isn't that difference nowadays. Mm. And after ECW was swallowed up, after WCW was swallowed up, there wasn't something that felt definitively different from wwe well i think that's because anybody that says now listen wwe is the monster and if we want to compete with this monster we have to bring our version of this but everybody you know in modern day pro wrestling that's running a promotion says we need to be different so that we're not competing with the wwe we're just doing our own different thing right so like you have promotions like lucha underground that really try to do something like that sure you have other promotions wrestling society x Back in the day, right. they tried to do things, truly get jump out of the box. But most pro wrestling organizations try to compete with the WWE. They just give you a smaller, less slick, right. less you know, over per, less produced version of that. Right. Sometimes it's fun, but it's never. At least it's never been. Uh, to me, it's you can have fun watching Impact. You can, I don't want. I haven't watched any AEW. I would imagine it's probably pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Jericho's there. You've got a lot of guys from uh, Christian just popped up. Christian's Big shows there Big now. Shows there. Yeah. yeah. So I would imagine it's pretty cool. I don't know if it has that old school Nitro vibe. Maybe. Um. I mean, I don't know. They have Shivani on commentary, so that helps. Oh yeah, <laughs> that helps. But like, it's it still feels like big budget wrestling big budget wrestling. yeah there's yeah. a little bit they definitely offer more creative freedom with their talent where mm. it's like you know do this in a way that feels real to you so it feels real to the audience i don't think it's quite as carefully scripted as wwe is but it's still and you know i mean they can say they're not competing all they want and wcw or and wwe can say you know they're not a threat to us but nxt just moved from wednesday night to tuesday night mm. because dynamite was on wednesday night <laughs> and it's aew though on the flip side of that coin is they're still you know, lights and pyro and a big stage, and it still feels like WWE wrestling. Right. So then what's the point of tuning in? Just to see different wrestlers do a WWE style of presentation? Well, and that's the thing also, too, that I think WCW suffered, not necessarily suffered from, uh, no, not WCW, Impact mm-hmm. did, TNA, like Booker T, Christian, Kurt Angle, all these familiar faces yeah. from WWE started popping up. And so when you have all these familiar faces from WWE now popping up on AEW, how much different can it really right. feel from exactly. WWE? Bingo. Bingo. And that's what that's one of those things where when here I am watching extreme championship wrestling as a 12-year-old and getting my mind blown. Yeah. Because none of this I, I mean I, by the time I was 12 I'd had, you know, I've been watching wrestling since I was 6 or 7, so I had a steady amount daily, steady amount of of wrestling. Right. And uh and when I was presented this whole different thing by wrestlers I didn't even know 
And there's something kind of magical that it's at two o'clock in the morning. It's two o'clock in the morning. Dead of night. Yes. It felt wrong. It felt wrong. Yeah. In the best way. Which means it feels so right. <laughs> <laughs> and it it's was like a secret. Yeah. And it was, and they were, they were like literally like, oh, you want some late night pro wrestling? Uh huh. We're going to give it to you. And then, I, I mean, before that, I hadn't really seen. WW attitude hadn't just hadn't sparked just yet. We were just on the cusp. Yeah, but before that, I hadn't seen women getting pile driver through, <laughs> through t- tables, through tables, <laughs> and their skirts would fly up, and you'd see them in a little, their little thongs getting right. pile drivered. I, you wouldn't see like you, you just didn't see that in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. So here you have this or a cigarette or smashing beers right. over your forehead, barbed wire, all of that stuff. You just simply didn't see that. There was a oh man. I forget when and where, but there was a thing with Taz. Oh, it was the first time I saw Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow. The first time they crashed through the ring. Yeah, and I, and so which they, WWE would st- steal like a year or two later, right? And then they would do it a couple of times, and then they would do like other gimmicks, which and, is it means less every time it happens. Yes, agreed. The first time I saw Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow fall through the fucking ring and the entire audience, and it was only an audience of like 200 people. Right. But 200 rabid people. And they all got on their feet at once. Immediately. All at once. Like, what the fuck? And I got up on my feet as a 12 year like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what is this? They broke the fucking ring. The great thing about ECW, when you catch their show at, you know, two in the morning. Yeah. Because now it was like a, okay, I got to pay attention to this. It's at two in the morning. Did you like start setting an alarm? On Saturdays. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Staying up late. So the next week I tried to catch it. I tried to stay up late this oh, time. Oh God. And I would, you know, my eyes would kind of nod. And, yep. Oh, I'm 12. I'm trying to stay up. <laughs> oh God. And then at the time there was like, I don't know. If it was late night back then, all I watched was E because you were going to get like Howard Stern. Sure. And you were going to get like. The wrong shit. Yeah. Quote unquote. All the, all the like, cool, like. Raunchy. The stuff that I'm not supposed to watch. But right. I have a TV in my room. <laughs> But I've but screw Howard Stern, screw those porn stars and strippers. I don't care about any of that. Give me wrestlers, right? Give me some dirty underground wrestlers. Give me some now. gritty shit. Yeah, what is this stuff? But here it is. It's two o'clock in the morning, and ECW is not on. One of the things about ECW that was kind of you know that helped in its mystique was that it was so inaccessible. Yes. When yeah. can you watch this crazy shit? It kept it a well kept secret. Yes. So what you would only get glimpses of ECW once in a while. At least I would when I'd go to the grocery store and I'd see the front cover of like a wrestling magazine. Yes. And I'd see like a drenched, bloody Tommy, Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer. Yes. There's a picture of him <laughs> handcuffed, handcuffed to and he looks like dead weight, yes. but his eyes are so fucking wide. And I would be like, holy shit. And, and what this, is this? This would be on a, a collage of a front page of a wrestling magazine that had Goldberg and Hogan, The Rock, and right. Steve Austin, and whoever you watched. But then you'd have little spots. Uh, a corner, a lip at the top yes. with a bloody bludgeoned Tommy Dreamer. And I would buy the magazine right. and I'd be like, okay, I know all the WWF shit. I know all the WCW shit. Where's this ECW stuff? And I would get, that's where I would get my ECW fix. And once in a while, I randomly happened to be up in the middle of the night and I just put the TV, I fell asleep with the TV on yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And you'd wake up in the middle of the night and there's, EC- oh my God, there's ECW. You found it. It, it came to you. <laughs> it came to you when you were ready. Yeah. It was this yeah. whole, sp- it was like this entirely <laughs> different kind of like, you know. It's like a, like this ethereal sensei yes. that's just like, I will find you I, when it is time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so, and so that was my experience with ECW. And you were presented one hour pro wrestling. Yeah. It wasn't live pro wrestling. It was an, one hour of infomercial. 
So he, right, it was a one. It was an hour long commercial for ECW. Commercial. So they would give you all this. They would splice in all the coolest shit, and then they would have this cool with Rob Zombie playing in, yeah. in between. Yeah, and this crazy psychopath that would that would be the voice of this whole thing, Paul Heyman, and you would hear him talking to the microphone and go, "Buy your ECW tickets only on ECW." Like he was so insane with it that you couldn't help but pay attention. Right, you were just so enthralled by it. And the WWE, of course, kind of going, that formula clearly is working, but we can't do that. Or can we? Mm-hmm. And them deciding to do their own version of that and just kind of blatantly ripping it off. Yeah. I mean, that's when when you are such a well-kept secret and it's starting to make some noise and more people are paying attention, then, of course, people at a higher level are going to be like, what's working here that we can take and make put it out there to a larger audience so that they see it first so that if ECW does make noise, it's like, Oh, they're just copying WWE. Right. It's one of the weird, like I've, I've kind of got this, like, I don't know if bitterness is right. Eh, I'm a little bit bitter about it where I was doing this Brosif character, Brosif Joe Brody, um, since 2012. Mm. And then Matt Riddle gets to this, you know, this WWE and does this bro gimmick. And I'm just kind of like, shit like he put some shoes on man he re- yeah come on like and he's not i don't know he's he strikes me as more of like a rob van dam you know stoner surfer type yeah then just he's like a, a little fucking, bit of carrie von eric to him. yeah yeah uh, like a, I, and i i i dig the gimmick i don't i mean i haven't watched it but i remember seeing him coming up a while back because i follow mma and he's sure an mma guy he's yep. actually you've seen really good yeah I think he actually got fired because he failed a drug test or something. I think he, so it's po- like, he popped for marijuana or something. Yeah. It's something silly. Which that, you should not get popped right. for. Come on, people. It's right. 2021. I mean, it was even back then. Like, it's fucking. But it seems like his dreams were never really in MMA. His hopes and dreams were lied in pro wrestling. Yeah. And he's making it happen for himself. On you. Good on Great. you, bro. Great. But I can, under- I can understand, like, yeah. if you've kind of spent some time and effort to polish up this gimmick. Nine that, fucking years. That works for <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. And someone comes around. Even if they don't do it on purpose. Right. Even if it was like, you know. I don't think he stole the gimmick yeah. or anything, but the fact that he made it to a stage that I've been trying to make it to for years, and it's like, if if I even if I get this character to WWE, AEW, or any national stage, the perception is going to be, oh, he's just ripping off Matt Riddle. Right. And then and the hardest part of trying to, of once you're, you break into the business and trying to find a place for yourself in this business, especially if you're trying to land a gig with WWE, is going, what do I have to offer of value? And that nobody else is. That no one else That lets me stand out from how many, 40 people on the main roster, probably 70 in NXT or something like that on TV and off. What do I be unique? You have, what do I offer in value to this company that this company can't get anywhere else? Right. Or is having a hard time getting someplace else. And sometimes it's your talent. If you're just truly phenomenal. Sometimes it's your promo skills. If you're truly phenomenal. It depends. You could look like Ultimate Warrior and be shitty at both, right. but still have sometimes, an amazing run. Sometimes it's literally just what you look like. Right. Sometimes it could be a demographic situation. We need Indian wrestlers because we're opening up a market in India. Absolutely. Sometimes it could just be business. Right. But and that's and there's nothing wrong with going. Hey, I'm Indian. I can help. Right. Spearhead, you know, business in India. Right. If we're making this brand global, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. What is it? If anything, doesn't matter what it is. What is the value that you can bring to this? 
to this organization. And that was my my thought, my frame of mind going into Tough Enough. Amazing segue. <laughs> 10 out of 10 segue. Because I was just checking the counter. I'm like, okay, we've geeked out on wrestling now for about 45 minutes. Already? Already. It went by like nothing. Shocker, right? <laughs> but let's... I'm so ready to circle around. I feel like the time is right. Again, the moment found us when it was time. <laughs> let's get into it. You... you um, and Please go back and listen to our first chat, which was episode two, I believe. Like, mm. we retraced your steps from moving from the heart of Paris to, I think you described it as the deep hoods of New Jersey. That's right. And how pro wrestling was your introduction to American culture. And, and so it's, it, pro wrestling as a whole means so much more to you than something you enjoyed watching on TV. It's how you first started establishing your identity as an American. That's exactly right. That's a right. big fucking deal. Um, and it's like woven into the fabric of who you are. And it eventually, of course, got to the point that you started pursuing it. And I don't want to like say too much because I do want you to go back and check out the episode. It's, it was so much fun. It's a lot like this. Like we were geeking out about pro wrestling, but then getting into like really what it means to us. Mm -hmm. So check it out. But in short, we go from you marking out to, to Hulk Hogan's sweat to marking out as a, as an aspiring pro wrestler, with Scott Hall's piss. <laughs> so go back and check out. It's an amazing trajectory. It's an amazing uh, uh, story. But now you're working indie shows. You are, you're in Florida. You're in Tampa. So you are at the epicenter of where WWE is at the time. Florida Championship Wrestling. There was no NXT yet. And let's start to, let's start to work towards your time on Tough Enough. How did the opportunity find you? Or how did you find it? So, man, yeah. It's um, I totally forgot that I ended our last podcast talking about Scott Hall's piss. That's how he ended. I don't think we could have gotten on a higher <laughs> note than that. Like you were, you were telling your brother you're in trouble with the bad guy. That's you do an amazing mean. Scott Hall, by the way. Do I listened I to that. Oh, you do. You, I heard that back, and when you were like, "Hey," <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, that's it." Oh, I loved it. Huge pop. Um, but yeah, you're like starting to work these shows yeah. with people that you grew up watching, marking out hardcore over, and having these surreal moments where you're like, "Bro." I'm in trouble with Scott Hall. Dude, I just, I'm in the, oh my God, I'm in the business. It's happening. I'm in the business. I'm not getting paid. Well, fuck no. I'm not, I'm not getting any notoriety. I'm not, I'm not, nothing's happening outside of just some indie matches on the weekends. But and you're doing it. I'm doing it. I'm in the business. Right. I'm a You're on this side of the curtain now. Yes. Time to, you know, put away Mark things and start to. Or just set him aside. <laughs> Be a Mark when nobody's looking, like nobody's around or at least. Right. No other wrestlers. I don't. I, I I've been vocal about this on a couple past podcasts. Like, if you're listening to this and you want to get into pro wrestling, please do know what it means to be like a professional mm -hmm. in that environment. But don't ever forget how much fun you can have being a fan. Right. Don't ever let somebody tell you you're too old to enjoy this or you shouldn't enjoy that. Remember the magic of pro wrestling and like, don't you know. Be professional when the occasion calls for it, but don't forget how much fun it is to mark the fuck out if you are ready to be a fucking mark. Absolutely. And then so from there, here I am, a, a, a wow, a pro wrestler, you know, and getting booked on these indie shows in Florida, and, you know, Central and South Florida, sure. or even North Florida. And here I am in Jacksonville. Here I am in Tampa. Here I go to Newport Ritchie. Wow, I'm on the road. Yeah. None of it is outside Florida. But you're making towns. But I'm making, whoa, I'm yeah. making towns and I'm putting on my gear and I'm doing my hair. and Lacing I'm, your boots. Yeah, and I'm doing push-ups in the back and going over my matches with my opponent. And Kill and Bill hits and you're ready to bust <laughs> through the curtain. So here I am, like, in the very beginning, you know, stages of my pro wrestling career, as right. it were. Very excited. And 
but also completely understanding that I'm on borrowed time. I'm 24 years old. I'm 25 years old. Started a little late. Yeah, I'm 25. I, I, uh, I gave myself one. I promised myself one thing, because here I am on on you know in these indies, and uh, I'm having these matches with these guys. Some guys are just as green as I am. Some guys have been around for a long time and they've never been signed. Yeah. Some guys had been signed, had their run, came back. Oh, this guy's got it's got a name. I get to be in a tag match with him, or I get to. How fun is this? Who are some of those names? Do you remember? Man, uh, at the time, it was like anybody that had just been released from the WWE right. would show up to like my local, the local indies in Florida, and okay. we would end up in like the ring together. Do you remember like a Ricky Ortiz? Hmm. You remember Ricky Ortiz? I don't remember that name, no. He used to have a towel that he'd whip around. He was Nothing. called, before he was Ricky Ortiz in FCW, or before that, he was called Atlas the Bone. Atlas the Bone? Yeah. I've never heard that sequence of words in that order in my life. Do you remember a guy named Bam something? Oh, God, I forget his last name. No. Yeah, big If it's dude. not Bam, Bam, or Margera, then I don't. It's not Bam, Bam, Bigelow, <laughs> or Margera. Yeah. Um, there were guys like... Um, like Spirit uh, Squad? Like, would they come through? I mean, were they released around that time? I don't know. I'm just like... No, it was like... La Resistance or some shit? No, it was, um, it was like... A, uh, Tarver, Antonio Tarver. Okay, I remember. Oh, yeah, so it's like some original NXT crop some, guys. Yeah, some original NXT guys. Yeah. Guys here and there. That You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of those guys. And it was it was cool to be like, oh, you've been through the... Uh, Sean Spears. Sure. Yeah. Guys like that. Okay. Guys that I'm like, wow. Um, here I am in the same locker rooms, in the same wrestling rings. Right. Trying to, you know, sit under their learning tree and basically, hey, I want to do what you did. I want to be able to land a developmental contract and... You know what? It, what happened? What's going on there? Like, sure. And I've never, man. This is this is pro wrestling number one, and it's show business. No right. matter how you want to you you want to slice it. In Bret Hart's book, Bret Hart says something along the lines of, um, "There's a saying about show business that show business is uh, is a hallway full of pimps and thieves." Huh? And he says Bret Hart continues that quote by saying, "I believe that pro wrestling is a locked hall is a locked closet at the end of that hallway." Whoa. So what does that mean? So I guess he's basically saying that if you're interested in performance, if you're, if you're going to get involved in show business, whatever form of show business, be prepared to be surrounded by a lot of, you know, sycophants, parasites, or just people in general that are shameless, yeah, shameless people that are in the pursuit of a thing, whether ethically, you mean ethically shameless. Shameless, period. Okay. Whether it means ethically shameless, whether it means shameless self-promotion, shame, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just you have to. You, and this is true. If you're going to get involved in being a performer, pro wrestling, or any other style of performing, you have to remove whatever shame gene you have because you have to allow yourself to be shameless in pushing your product, which is you. Right. It's, it, is, it is a lot of, hey, look at me. Yeah, hey, look at Which me. is something I still struggle to this very day because it's like I'm trying to put this podcast out there and like Twitch and just the shows I'm on and all the shit. It is very like, hey, look at me. Hey, <laughs> and it just it, it still feels weird to me. Though. I hear you. But for me, I luckily for me, shame is, is a thing I don't care for. It doesn't make a difference. So I was completely shameless and going to guys that had just been released and be like, dude, how'd you get signed? What'd you do? And like, what happened? And right. Essentially. And them looking at me going, dude, are you trying to have like an RV shoot interview here? Like, <laughs> what do you, and me going, no, I'm not trying to do a shoot interview. I'm, I want to know the details yeah. of what's going on inside that bubble, inside that organization so that I can come prepared. Right. If and when. 
But the one thing I started learning about pro wrestlers is that there's a lot of love within wrestlers, but there's more secrets than love. Mm. No one will tell you what they're doing if anything's happening. Everyone will kayfabe each other more than they kayfabe the audience. Everyone, your, your best friends, your tag team partners won't let you know what's going on if they're kind of exploring this part of their career that might be beneficial to them. Not, they won't even let you know what's going on like out of like, hey, just so you know, like I've got to try out and it's going to be you know, pretty cool. So like, wish me luck. What do you think that comes from? Is that paranoia about losing your quote unquote spot? Is it paranoia that like, I mean, I don't know. I should just stop asking hypothetical questions and just turn the floor over to you. Where I, does that come from? I mean, that's a, I don't know. That's, that was one of those pro wrestling cultural things that I was like, hmm, that's weird. Yeah. So if I have like, I have a tryout coming up with, or I have an extra spot coming up with WWE because they're in Jacksonville. Great. Like telling my boy, dude, I've got an extra spot. I, you know, landed an extra gig in Jacksonville uh, for their SmackDown. Apparently you don't say that kind of thing to people. Right. Because they would all get extra gigs and not tell me. Apparently that you don't share that kind of information. I, That's a great point. I mean, and, and very true too. You wouldn't find out about it oftentimes until... It, unless they pop up on fucking superstars. Right. And then you text them and you're like, dude, I just saw it. Why didn't you tell me? And then I would literally tell people because I didn't understand that part of like, keep your cards close to your chest, even right. with the, the closest people in the business with you. Uh, because you're, because at the end, you're, you ask why. The reason is we're all working together. We're all performing together for a show, but we're all in competition with each we other. We are. Yeah. And only and, so many spots. And any advantage helps. Every single advantage, whether it be silence, omission of information, any advantage in your mind, you can you justify to yourself that it helps. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't do anything for anybody. But part of that is has been such a part of pro wrestling culture for so long that it's not even really questioned. And I was asking questions like, "Hey, why are we, dude? Are you? Don't you have an extra spot? Didn't you tell me, bro? Don't tell anybody that. What the fuck?" Why not? I, I think there is something to be said, though, for WWE not wanting that to get out for some reason. Oh, is that what it is? I think so. Like, they just don't want... I, I mean, I don't know. Like, if they have somebody who's going to be used to be, like, a an EMT or someone who just gets jobbed out to fucking Seamus or whoever, like, I don't know that they want that stuff just circling or circulating on the internet before a show happens. I, and that, and I don't be- know why that even matters if it gets out that like a wrestler who I've done a lot of extra stuff with Dave Dutra and I'm just pulling his name like out of a hat. I'm like, if Dave, if it were gets out that Dave Dutra is doing a, an extra spot, like I don't understand how that takes away from the surprise of whatever's going to happen right. on WWE programming. Cause you still don't know what he's going to do. If anything, he if might just eat catering and call it a payday, Bingo, which has been most of my extra That's spots. most of what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most of my just eat, eating catering and then going home and waiting for that WWE paycheck to come in. Right. And then marking out when you see that logo yes! like it still feels cool I, I had my last one in 2019 and it still feels it still felt cool dude i wanted that w, that, that actually sanctioned wwe sanctioned paycheck and when we were on tough enough our paychecks were coming from shed media right i can't tell you how disappointed I was oh, no. until eventually i got myself a, you did get one a, yeah okay good absolutely good but um anyways so so everybody's trying to keep quiet. The, the extra spots. Um, yeah, it just it was part of pro wrestling culture that I was starting. I was starting to learn about. Yeah, but didn't necessarily understand. No big thing. You weren't deep enough into into it though to not ask like, why are we doing this? I I didn't even. I mean, I'd been watching and and you know reading dirt sheets and now part of right. if, if only for a year that you kind of get the sense that 
you'll generally know what's happening and understand the mentality and psyche of everything and everyone and this and that. Those were, that was one of those things where I was like, I don't get this one. Yeah. Well, the, you told a hilarious story in the last one about Scott Hall when he's like, Ric Flair walked in. Like that whole thing about like giving him a seat, offering, and then he, he just like fucking turned around and walked away. Didn't even sit down. <laughs> but it was a lesson that you still remember to this very day about locker room etiquette and veterans and, and respect and all this other shit. And that's a big theme. As to, that, that was a continuous theme in, in my experience with pro wrestling. Pro wrestling backstage culture or pro wrestling culture etiquette etiquette outside of what you see on the screen everything backstage or behind the curtains what is that whole world it's a very meticulous very subtle very nuanced but yet overwhelming culture yeah that you have to you have to pick up on the frequency or you're going to get drowned out right and and that's something actually that uh Ariane mentioned when she and I talk because she had literally no pro wrestling experience. Oh, that poor girl. Where she, where she <laughs> came into tough enough. Like absolutely none. And unless my timing changes on the order that these are gonna drop, and I don't think it will, the episode with Ariane's supposed to drop next week, and that poor girl, like you said, just <laughs> no concept of pro wrestling culture whatsoever. And in a way, it kind of played to her advantage. And and again, that's uh-huh. that's next week. Um, but for right now, you're picking up etiquette as you go. And it is a minefield if you are unprepared. Yes. You are constantly fucking up. You're constantly walking on eggshells. You don't know when to shake somebody's hand or leave them alone. It's kind of a mindfuck. It is a giant mindfuck. And I understood it and accepted it as part of the business. Any right. story, any legend, any myth, any book you've ever written about, any pro wrestler to have ever existed – always explains yes. this part of, the, of of their journey. This is just part of the process, part of the paying your dues, part of this, part of the part of that. I understand that. Uh, how much of it you're willing to accept as a person became an internal conflict for me. Go on. It was something that I was starting to go, what the fuck? Why is, mm, why is it this way? Why is it this way? Yeah. It, this Can you j- elaborate on that? Anything in particular? Yes. And, I, and I'll go into a particular situation because it was that situation that actually involves you. Oh. Um, <laughs> Is this the story you told me you were going to tell me on the podcast? And yeah. I asked you not to tell me until we're actually on the podcast? That's the one. Oh, shit. I'm so <laughs> pumped. I'll get to that post tough. Okay. Because that's when it happened. Oh, you're saving it for the end of the podcast? You <laughs> dick. So, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm a pro wrestler now. Here I am. And I'm learning the etiquettes of this and that and the other. I'm fucking up here. I'm doing well here. It's an, There's ebbs and flows. There's ups and downs. Sure. And- and this is all within the f- one year of pro wrestling. And I'm gaining some decent experience. Florida was a bit of a hotbed at the time. Right. A, yep. uh, a bit of a hotbed. There's spots everywhere. You can do this in Orlando, then go to Tampa, then Newport Ritchie, then Jacksonville, then go to Miami, then here, then there. You had your loop. You had a loop. And and the cool thing was that here I am. I'm, I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid 20 bucks. But, oh, my God. Apparently – this $20 is more than you're supposed to get paid when you're a no-name, nothing, nobody. Yeah. Usually you wrestle for free. And don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times when I did, but the times that a promoter would go, hey, good job. Here's your envelope. And then give me an envelope and I would open it having no idea what's in it. And then going, holy crap, 20 bucks. Sweet. <laughs> right. Like, more than you had before. Way more than I had before. And to do something you love to do. On top of everything else. So the first 20 bucks I got, I came home and I told my wife, I go, hey, I'm a working pro wrestler. <laughs> I'm holding a working up, professional wrestler. Holding up that 20. Holding up my $20. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. I made it. Yeah. I'm being paid to run around in my underwear. You are a professional. That's it. Wrestler. <laughs> so um, one day, I'm reading the dirt sheets, the Observer, and um, and just saying that out loud apparently is like, oh, dude, you're not supposed to say that. 
yeah, I mean, it's where everything gets, every, all the shit gets stirred up, right? Rumors, who's doing this, what fucking deals, all this other you, shit. I mean, if you, the thing about pro wrestling is that if you're going to enter the bubble, you have to be well versed in everything that's happening in said bubble. Yeah. If you want any kind of success, if you're, I mean, if you're not walking in at six foot six, 200 pounds, uh, 240 pounds of sliced and diced, amazing right. genetics, then you have to know, you have to understand, you have to envelop this culture. You have to know where the, the, the landmines are. Who's who? Yeah. Who are you talking to? Who's who, doing what? Who's, who's the, with what company? Who's important to talk to? Right. Who's got, who, who's part of talent relations? What is talent relations? How do I, how do I get to the important people to try and make this fantasy of mine a reality? Yeah. This is what the game is. The game here is I'm going to become a pro wrestler because I'm trying to make a fantasy a reality. I've never lost tra- track of that. I'm trying to make this dream come true. Yeah. And um, so I'm reading The Observer, and it says something along the lines of, like, Tough Enough is making the return. And I was like, what? And uh, it was just explaining, like, but it was weird because it was explaining that Tough Enough is making the return, but they're looking at a bunch of, like, already established independent wrestlers. Right. And I was like, oh, well, that's not me. I'm so, not. A- it, so it, it made the point to say it's looking at established independent wrestlers. Did it make the point that it was also considering contracted talent? No. It was literally oh. one of those like blurbs, a quick like Dave Meltzer or some shit. Sure. You know, I don't know if somebody sent him something and he just copied and pasted and put it up. Maybe. And it was just like WWE Tough Enough is coming back. They're, they're returning with a season. It wasn't talking about Steve Austin hosting it. Right. They weren't talking about special trainers like Booker T or Bill DeMott or Trish. So this was super early in the process. Super this is we're, we're looking at fall 2010 right, right now. Just about. Did you, I don't remember if we covered this in our last episode. Did you watch them on MTV? Yeah. Okay. So you, you were f- familiar with the format and the yeah, concept and all absolutely. that other stuff. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, I watched anything and everything. That's right. Like, yeah. Right? Couldn't create enough. Especially back, in the day. back then. You had Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro, Tuesday Velocity. Wednesday, uh, Thunder, Thursday, SmackDown, Friday, ECW had their actual live on TNN. TNN. Yep. That's right. Saturday night, uh, WCW Saturday night and Sunday night heat. You had pro wrestling every night of the week. Yeah. And on top of that pay-per-views or tough enough or whatever they were doing on MTV for this or whatever they were doing. Right. I remember going into SummerSlam 99. They had them hosting like Total Request live and shit. (laughs) Dude, there was one episode of TRL where, uh, TDP and Raven were having their epic death feud, like that epic blood feud over the United States. One of the title. best feuds in the history of WCW. Oh, dude, so and, good. And he, <laughs> Raven DDT's DDP through a table at TRL in front of Carson <laughs> Daly, who freaks out. <laughs> and I'm like, this, this is everything. This is amazing. Yeah, I got to look that up when we're done with this podcast. That sounds delightful. And um, so I read that, and I was like, oh, cool, tough enough. Well, that might be something worth looking into. Mm-hmm. But when it said established independent wrestlers, I immediately understood it as guys that have been doing this for a minute. Right. You know, right. Like seasoned indie workers. Exactly. And that's a very specific kind of a, of a, of a person. Right. It's not me. I have I'm not a seasoned indie worker. Even if I'd say, for example, been running the same Florida loop, does that make me a seasoned indie worker or a seasoned indie worker strictly the guys that came up the way in the same way as CM Punk or John Moxley? Oh, wow. So you were, you were going to top tier indie I assumed, talent. I mean, I assumed that top tier indie talent would make sense on a reality show to get into the main roster of the WWE. Yeah. Why would they grab a bunch of nobodies when they're like, you know, so for example, American Idol, they audition a bunch of people and then the, the top 10 most amazing singers – Get to mess around and work their way to you know a contract, right? 
But it didn't occur to you that they also make time for the fucking train wrecks. Right. The noobs, the William Hungs, who are just like, what are you doing here? And why can't I stop watching you? (laughs) But But their entire journey starts and ends at the audition. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I figured this is clearly going to be something for the, at the time, the John Moxies or Dean Ambrose. Yeah, of the Daniel time. Bryans. The Daniel Bryans of the time, the um, uh, Kevin Steens of the sure, time. Sure, sure. Sammy Zanes. Sammy Zanes, yeah. El Generico. El Generico at the time, yep. Guys like that. And guys that you would watch them and you go, those guys, why aren't those guys signed? Yeah. Why aren't they signed? And then you would kind of go, well, you know, they're not going to get signed because they're not tall enough or they're not you know in shape ripped enough, enough yeah but man are they talented also they're talented but they're also talented for that specific style of pro wrestling right which i am not good at <laughs> <laughs> oh, i always loved you know kind of a more campy more southern style more like make the punch mean something style wrestling memphis yes yeah. more of like a you know make the punch shake your booty kind of tease the audience. your your match is more with the audience than it is with your pro uh, fellow oh, wrestler oh yeah 100% i mean any any time i describe wrestling to somebody it's you are wrestling your opponent but you're working the crowd right exactly i always loved that much more i I'd, I'd, I'd much rather watch jerry lawler work a 20 minute headlock yeah and and i'd be i'd have so much fun with it because you could see all the fun he's having with it. Right. And the and and how that fun is affecting the crowd. A fucking headlock. Right. And making just prioritizing what's what's going to be important in this match. Yeah. The headlock is important so that the punch is phenomenal. Right. You know what I mean? And then the pile driver is going to be like, "What? That's insane." Babies in the air. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I always preferred that style of wrestling even if people shit on it or it's old school or it's not fun. There's always a, a, a place for hot spotting and sure. There's for sure. I mean, that's the beauty of a three ring circus. You get a little bit right. of everything. There's as much of a place for a ten minute headlock as there in for as there is for an Arabian facebuster. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so I didn't think twice about it. Tough enough. Yeah. But it became all the talk mm. at every locker room I went to. Now, did you guys hear about this tough enough? Did you guys hear? And now people are because it's an opportunity to- for anybody in theory. Yeah. And now everyone's talking about, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? Everyone's kind of, everyone's trying to get information, but no one's willing to share information. Ah, yeah. Because everybody's like, I'm not saying anything. No one wants to say anything. Yeah. Now, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea that I was kind of, you know, plugged into that FCW pipeline the way I was because I had been just a dude that showed up, paid his money, got trained, Continued a relationship with a lot of the people that, or some guys that was that was signed to the uh, FCW at the time development, became friends with them. But you didn't continue them. training on, on an ongoing basis. You paid your money. You trained there for the amount of time that you paid to train there, right. and then you were out. And then I was out. But uh, but your info stayed with them. My info stayed with them. Your relationship stays with them. Sure. Like in that, like if I go to an indie show and I happen to see FCW guys who are there to hang out. Don't tell anybody we're here. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. They're there to hang out. KV. You know what I'm saying? Like so, then you kind of build this relationship, and and you're piped in to this very interesting network of people. Uh, you know. That's not the office. It's right. not the main roster. It's not even signed developmental. It's this network of everything right under that. That is an active network of human beings trying to figure things out. Yeah. It's an active network of human beings trying to break into the upper echelon of the of the business because right now they're at the very bottom rung, but they're at the wrong. They're at FCW. There's a, there's a connection there. Right. And then uh, I f- – I forget. I bumped into Norman, or I bumped into someone at a show. Smiley. Yeah, Norman. Yeah, I forget who exactly, but we were having a conversation about 
hey, Tough Enough's supposed to come back? Like, has anybody heard anything about it? And like two days later, I get an email from Kim something or Karen something. Hmm. I don't remember. Yeah. But it was an email and it was like, hi, are you, it, it, it felt like a copy and paste. Sure. Hi, are you interested in becoming WWE's next blah, 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 blah? And, you know, Tough Enough is coming back. We're interested in seeing what, what you're made of or something like that. It felt very copy pasty and it felt very like um, Cold spammy. Call. Yeah. yeah, it felt very spammy. But I was like, what? To my personal email? Did, what is this thing? <laughs> How'd so they re- find me? I, so I responded thinking it was like some no reply mailbox uh-huh. or whatever. But I responded hoping that I'd get something out of it. So hoping like, it would go end up at a human. Yeah. Right, right. So I respond to that email and I go, I go, uh, Hey, yeah, I'd be more than interested in checking out what WWE Tough Enough is about. Here's a picture of me. I sent some like one or two wrestling photos. Sure. And, uh, you know, hit me back. Very yeah. excited. Dude, the next day I got a phone call. And I was like, whoa. So I get a phone call from that person. I can't remember her name. Kim something, I want to say. That might not even be right. Yeah, honestly. I would have to dig up my emails, but I don't I don't. I couldn't tell you. So I get a phone call from her and she's like, hi, is this uh, Michael Zakai? And I was like, Michael Zaki? Yes, this is he. <laughs> and she's like, hi, yes. Okay. So uh, we sent you an email. You sent us back an email. That was me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think that you were legit. I thought you were like spam or something. She goes, no, no, we're actually bringing back Tough Enough. Have you heard? And I go, yeah, kind of. People have been talking about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, Yes. And um, so we're interested in having you maybe potentially audition for this show. Are you interested? And I went, you're interested in me? How do you? How did you get this information? Like, right. Where did you get my email? Where did you get my phone number? Is this number? what you're thinking or did you ask her this? I'm asking oh, her okay. this. Like, where'd you get my email from? Like, I don't, I'm not really plugged into anything, anybody important. And in your head, I'm sure you're like, I'm still super green. On like, I thought this was else. for fucking season vets. Yeah. On top of everything else, I've got like legitimately i'm wrestling on the weekend so i've got less than like 20 matches under my belt yeah (laughs) and um and so she goes uh yeah you're you're on their radar they have some of your information and i was like what i'm on their radar (laughs) i'm gonna get signed i'm gonna become intercontinental champion i'm gonna buy this car first I mean, I'm on their radar, so that's as good as in. Yeah. I'm I'm done. I'm that's it. I'm good. So a common theme up to this point has been like, who's fucking ribbing me? Somebody's ribbing me. Did that thought ever cross your mind? Or were you still so green that you're like nobody's like that it didn't cross your mind that you were just like somebody's pulling a fucking prank on you? No nobody outside of like promoters had my email. So I didn't phone, phone number? I mean friends. Who were like? They- yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think of it as a rib because it didn't come off like a. I don't know. You know how you can have like you have your bullshit detector can kind of go rib, rib, rib. Yeah, that's exactly how it sounds. <laughs> rib, 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 rib. This one was like, oh, I must have signed up for some dirt sheet nonsense newsletter or something I see. or other. And this is not the whatever. company who makes my gear has my email or this whatever. Must be some stage yeah. coach, something. Or stage other. coach. That's where I got my boots. my boots. Yeah. <laughs> Shit was expensive. Dude, 500 bucks for my boots. Still holding up, though. Yes. Same pair of boots. That a boy. Damn good boots. Hell yeah. And um, I wonder if they're still around. Anyway, if you are, shout out to Stagecoach. They make good shit. Yeah, man. I, my boots are outstanding. And I, and I got nice, hefty lifts in there. I bet you do. So I can push my 5'9 <laughs> ass to 5'11. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
I'm talking to this lady, and I'm like, yeah, I'm very interested. I'm on the radar? Oh, right. my goodness. Wow. And I feel like the bell of the ball. And she's like, yeah. So listen, this is happening all very quickly. You know what? While you're doing this, I'm just going to open my phone and see if I can dig up this email. Because now it's bothering me that I'm like, this is Kim something. But I'm still, I'm still listening. You would still have access to that? That's awesome. I think I saved all the emails. I think I have a folder here that still says tough enough. Wow. Do I? Uh, maybe not. I do not. God damn it. <laughs> Must have gotten rid of them. or they're elsewhere. I want to say Kim. I don't know why Kim is a name that keeps ringing true with me, but it could it could be something else entirely. Right. You know, there's an email from Steve Kern from fucking 2012. Hey. Anyway, <laughs> those emails are somewhere. I'll find them. So um, I'm going to text you at like midnight and be like, it's Kim this. You'd be like, that's it. That's it. That, <laughs> I can sleep now. That chick. <laughs> um, so she's like, all this is happening very fast. And. We can't really take into consideration unless you submit an official application with a video and everything. Right. Uh, so get this. You're on their radar. We think you'd be kind of interesting for this. So if you know if you are interested in this, you need to make this happen ASAP, like by tomorrow. Tomorrow? And I was they like, expected you to film a video in a day? I was like, Jesus Christ. And so you know, I don't say that to her. I go, tomorrow, done deal. <laughs> I'm oh. halfway done with it already. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, crap. And then, so we're done. I hang up the phone and I run to my wife. I'm like, baby, 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 we got to put a video together of me doing something or something or other. I like, and she's like, what do you mean? So I tell her, I catch her up to date, uh, up to speed on everything. And she's like, so what do you just send? Like a, you know, a copy of one of your matches or something. And I was like, no, <laughs> God, no, God, no. <laughs> you want them to go? Oh, well, not him. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I go, no, I need to send them splices of my match. To some music, sure, and then insert some cool other stuff. So I just I grabbed my camera, or um, yeah, I actually had a little camera at the time. Right, and uh, my wife and I like just ran around Florida or just Tampa doing crazy shit. Like you know, here's my day. My day looks like this, and I'm working out, and there's all this rock music playing. Cut to who was playing? Do you remember? Uh, rock music? Yeah. Do you oh, remember? Just, I just like take us back to fucking 2010. Dude, uh, it's me playing rock music. So we're talking like Hoobastank. <laughs> no, nothing great. Hoobastank. <laughs> yeah. It's like, tell me. My, my, my. Yes. And Amazing. I'm, I'm working. So it's like splicing in footage of me working out and like jumping. It's your Rocky montage. Yeah. And I, and I look awesome. Like I'm jacked and I'm doing all this working out. And then I would splice in footage of me just like walking my dog and letting him take a shit. <laughs> just kind of waiting or like letting you know, him take a shit yeah like here's my day and just cut some here's just, my dog pooping my dog pooping <laughs> and just look at the camera like this is what i do here i am picking up shit and then like playing into the whole i'm from jersey so playing some like uh, this pumping of course and playing jersey shore was huge at the time it right it was enormous right so playing into that of course and cutting a little smart bit of, though smart yeah. if you're the muscle head from jersey of course you're gonna be Jim Tan Laundry. Right, exactly. So I spliced together something super quick on like iMovie or some shit. I sure. Had, That's how I made mine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, like, I mean, I had no talent in that stuff. Just whatever. Here right. Stitch it together. Frankenstein. Here you go. Here you go. I, so I uh, burned the CD, I think it was, and or DVD. Yep. I burned a DVD and uh, print out the application that they emailed me. Fill it out. Remember that application? It was like- it Fucking was, long. Dude, it was long as shit. It was like- 15, 16 pages or something. They wanted your entire history. Your whole history. And they wanted things like, you know, who's your hero? Who's your this? Who's your, Tell uh, us about a time that you feel guilty or some shit yeah. like that. Now, if I'm anything, it's prolific. So I'm taking my time and I'm like, mm, 
Ew. Once upon a midnight dreary, and, then, and I'm like, like you pull out your quill, yeah. <laughs> dip it into a little inkwell, <laughs> right? And just like, and I'm like taking my time, taking it seriously, which you should, because if you just do one or two word answers, they're gonna be like, this person doesn't give a yeah. fuck. Who are they? Like, who are you? Right. <laughs> no feel for who you are. Bingo. So I'm like trying to, I'm putting it, you know, taking some pride in my work, as one should, especially if it's pro wrestling related. Absolutely. This is your shit. This is an opportunity to make something happen. To go to WWE and. I'm on borrowed time. I'm 25 years old. You ancient fuck. Sold. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 25 years old with like 20 matches, barely. Right. That's the problem. Right, right. If I was 25 years old with 3,000 matches. Different. You know, 300 matches even. Sure. But yikes. Yeah. Uh, on the application, how long have you been wrestling? I've been told no matter what, this was Dan Shell who told me this, uh, the guy we spoke about last time in podcast that I had my first couple of matches with. Oh, idiot, 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 idiot <laughs> that guy. So he was kind of a bit of a mentor to me at the time, and he goes, no matter what anybody tells you, if somebody asks you how long you've been wrestling, you tell them you've been wrestling for two years and have 200 matches. You stick to that formula. There you go. If, if you've Two been, matches a weekend for two years? Sure. So he's basically saying, you stick to that formula. And I go, why that formula? He goes, I don't know. Al Snow told it to me, and it worked. Okay. So, oh, good. You have it on Al Snow's authority. Perfect. Right. Al Snow's the man. Yeah. You know, what does everybody want? Head. Of course. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, but what does everybody need? Ah, that's a great question. It's head. If, yeah. Yeah, it's always head. <laughs> it's always head. The answer is usually head. <laughs> <laughs> New shirt for Michael Zaki coming out soon. <laughs> the answer is usually head. So, we, uh, so on, the thing, on, the, on the application, I put, been wrestling two years. 200 matches mm. whatever and i run off to the, like the ups store or wherever and i overnight this shit yep and i send it to them and now it's like you know when you send something through the mail it's literally like a well let's hope the magic of the post office works right who's this what's gonna happen it's now in their hands it's now in the air i yeah. don't even know what's <laughs> happening with this stuff you know and in my mind i had like this whole montage in my head playing of uh you know that music like it's like old school cartoony like factory music that's like that one that's exactly right sure do package going from here that's exactly what's happening amazing and i'm like oh man fucking looney tunes are running stimpy or some shit and i'm like in my mind it's gonna land on vince mcmahon's desk he's gonna open it read my application personally check out my dvd personally and be like sign this motherfucker this guy's money god damn it so I overnighted that shit, and like two days later, I get a phone call back. Yes, from from this Kim, Kim whoever, person. yeah. And every time, like you know, she calls me and she's like, "So we received your stuff. We love it, and <laughs> so we're really interested in getting to know you more. Um, you'll be hearing from me, if not me, then maybe another person or two over the next couple of days, and we'll give you some details and ask you some questions. I guess they were continuing the screening process over the phone. Sure. So. Over the course of like the rest of that week, over the course of like three or four days, I would get a phone call almost on a daily basis from an executive, from a producer, not a producer, an AP person. Sure. Like casting person. Casting person. Yeah. And every time they would pick up. Oh, my bad. No, you're good. I'm just making sure everything's dialed in. We're every, good. every time they'd call, they'd be like, hi, is this Michael Zaki? And I'm like, yeah, hey. Oh, sorry. I was just getting out of the gym. Every, you fuck. Every time. <laughs> just to, I needed to be impressive every that's time. That's so smart, though, because you were setting up who you were. Because <laughs> that's who you appeared to be on the show. Right. You were the muscle-bound meathead who's always working out. So, of course, you just got out of the gym. <laughs> that was fucking smart. And literally, every time they'd call, they'd be like, are you available to speak? I'm like, oh, yeah, I just got out of the gym, though. 
I was like my gimmick the whole yes. way. Just got out of the gym. I just finished that lifting 9,000 pounds. And and then like little by little, like I, you know, you know, like you're very, you're very, uh, you kind of carry yourself in this way. You're easy to build rapport with. Thank you. There's a great, you have a great energy. You can vibe, you can ebb and flow. You can, and uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not super hard to build rapport with either. No, not at all. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, like, kind of using a little bit of that, like, hey, I'm good with rapport. Right. Let me try and charm him a little bit and this and that. And it was it was working. Yeah. They were interested. <laughs> oh, my God. But every time I'd hang up the phone, I would go, if they decide to put me on their show, I'm going to end up having to be on top enough. What? <laughs> you look so sad right now. Yeah. What's with the whiny face? Because tough enough comes with a stigma. And every season of Tough Enough that I've watched where they've had some meathead who you haven't been wrestling for two years, have you? Gets their ass whooped or something happens or some so, so part of me is like, mm. so is the reality of the potential that you could end up on the show starting to dawn on you or it's yeah. like, oh, shit, I might have millions of eyes on me. The, the, the reality of the potential that they're going to choose me to like be on the show was starting to dawn on me because. Oh, I mean, you're you're not gonna waste your time calling me every day and checking out my application and my deep. You're you know you're not gonna pay attention. I don't. You've got CM Punk and Samoa Joe to go after. You've got plenty of real uh, guys like seasoned dudes, right? You know what I mean? And, but but my ace in the hole was always like, you're gonna love what you see, yeah, and you might love what you hear, but we'll see what happens when it comes to skills, sure, <laughs> or talent rather. And um, but I kind of like. Banked on myself being a quick learner, like a quick study, like maybe I can kind of hack my my way into like learning quickly and, and coming off at least competent. Well, I think there's something to be said for that because WWE for a long time, and I'm sure this is still the case, the reputation has been they would much rather bring in somebody who's green and young and hasn't picked up bad indie habits. Right. And then invest that time into building you from the ground up rather than... Taking the time to unlearn you a bad habit. Bingo. And that was actually one of my go-to, like, listen, I've only ever trained in oh, WWE-sanctioned. So you did? Oh, that's yeah. great. That's I've great. only ever trained at FCW under Steve Kearns and Norman Smiley. I'm WWE-trained. Right. I wrestle for the camera. I know. So that was like a, a little ace in the hole because I've seen, like, some WWE, like, you know, WWE guys at FCW go, mm, no, you don't want to do your headlock that way or you don't want to. Right. Yeah. You know, that's not how we do things here, That's kid. That's not how we do things here. And it's like, oh, well, they're not going to tell me that shit because I know how they do things here on the show if I get on the show. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I get a phone call from a, a dude named Marco. That's one of the only names I remember. Marco. Marco. I, I remember that name too. I can't remember what the last name is, but I so, do remember that name Marco. Yeah. And he so he calls and he's like, what's up, bromosexual? <laughs> so immediately I understood what he thinks of me. Yep. And I'm like, what's up, dog? And he's like, so I... I'm feeding into this. Of course. Yeah, you're leaning into it hard. Absolutely. It's not not who I am. It's part of who I am. Yeah. It's not all of who I am. But, you know, lean into the parts of that I that mean, are you. Half of you and I, half of our time spent today has been like, what's up, bro? What's like, up? Just growing out. growing out. <laughs> so um, he's like, all right, uh, you're going to get a phone call after me from somebody who's going to give you a bunch of information. Just be ready. Cool. Hang up. Immediately, I get a phone call from a casting director. And she's like, hi, so we're going to fly you out to Los Angeles. Word. 
Like, I don't know about you, like before this Tough Enough experience, were you already like trying to go on auditions and like, no, no, it was a hundred percent wrestling. So, so, so it was the same. This was like your first kind of, you know, venture shot anything at anything at anything like performance related in that way, let alone on a stage as big. Right. So she calls me and she's like, um, we're, we're interested in flying you out to LA to give you a final look. It's, it's going to be in-person auditions. Um, now, I, I keep hearing you and Martin and Luke talk about how they flew 34 people out. 28. 28 people. 28. I don't know why, but she told me there's going to be like 200 people being auditioned over there. So, like, I showed up expecting 200 wrestlers. Right. But she's telling, she goes, um, we're going to fly you out. You know, just be your fun self. And, uh, but pack for anywhere from three days to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from three days to eight <laughs> weeks. I don't, what the, like. Like, I love that she's giving you the option to, like, you can only pack for three days if you like. <laughs> if you stick around for six weeks, you're going to start smelling bad with those clothes. Right. Like, and, and and all the little rules, like, also, the things you are packing, make sure there's no logos, there's no design, right. there's no this, there's no that. Oh, boy. So, I think they said, like, no stripes because it does something weird on camera. Right, like all these things. Yeah. So I rushed off to, like, Target or Walmart or something, sure. and I bought a bunch of, like, just T-shirts, tank tops of, that have nothing on them. Yeah. And uh, that was going to be my clothes, plus my wrestling boots, plus my wrestling gear. Like, here we go. So I tell my wife, I just was so excited. Like, I, I, it's fucking happening. Things are happening. Like, uh, like I, and I, you know, I told her I was all, <laughs> all macho and proud. I was like, I told you. I told you. <laughs> I've only got one year to make things happen. And here I am making shit happen. I told you. God, I'm good. Like, <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> what the fuck voice was that? Was that like a little bit of Vince McMahon? It's my internal like, Vince. It's like, your, it's okay. It's my internal, like, oh, I'm making shit happen. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I'm like, listen, hey, listen, I've only been doing this for like a year, barely, and here I am being called to Los Angeles. This is, you know. So then part of you, I'm sure, was just like, see, I'm, I'm, I told you I'd make this work. Right. Because you had that moment where you aged two years overnight working that shitty security job. And then you're like, life's too short. I need to pursue this thing. The living on a prayer thing with your last <laughs> 20 bucks or whatever it was. And now it's like vindication. That's right. Vindication, validation. Things are only going to get easier from here. Right. Hard part's over, baby. Hard part's over. We're going to make it. We got our foot in the door. That's all I needed. (laughs) That's all I needed. And uh, so my wife, who's, you know, she's always the most supportive person ever, was like, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. So like, when do you leave and how long do you have to be gone for? And I go, oh, I leave this weekend, (laughs) which was Super Bowl weekend, I believe. Uh, I think so. I think so. I go, I leave this Saturday or Sunday. It was Sunday. It was Super Bowl Sunday. And what day is this now that you're telling her this on? Like a fucking Tuesday? It was like like a Thursday. Okay. So I leave like in three or four days. Right. And um, and I've got to pack from anywhere to three days to eight weeks. And my wife being awesome goes pack for eight weeks. And I'm like, well, no shit. Yeah. No one's going to not pack for eight weeks. Of course. But her- her message was like, you got this, baby. Go mm. go out there and get them. And Fuck I was like, yeah. girl, I'm going to go out there and get them. There, there it comes again. <laughs> there it comes. And uh, so I pack all my stuff. It's that Sunday. Um, I forget if they like sent us airplane tickets in the actual mail. I think they did. Uh, I forget exactly. I don't remember. Or I picked up tickets at the, at the uh, airport. Yeah. But I do remember packing all my stuff up, getting in the taxi, Going to the airport, saying goodbye to my wife and going, baby, I'll see you hopefully in eight weeks. Right. You know, hopefully I'll see you in eight weeks. Be good with the dog. And, you know, 
I'm sure like her mom was getting ready to come over and hang out with her, her sisters. She's going to be all right. Yeah. She, she has a whole fleshed out life that doesn't even include me a little bit. Which is great. Which is amazing. You need your own life as a human being. You know, this is why we've been together since we were 17. Like, right. It, it works out well that way. And, um, and off I go to make a dream happen. And I get to the airport, Tampa International Airport. I walk in with like three giant fucking rolling uh, luggages. And it's a lot of stuff. And I packed like all my protein powder. All oh, because yeah, you didn't know we were going to be stocked with supplements I when we got there, no, right? Yeah, I packed all my stuff. And so it turns out they opened up my protein powder, the uh, the people. The, at uh, the airport? At the airport. Yeah. And like dug through it and it it got dumped all over my clothes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but whatever. Um, I get to the airport and I'm pulling in with all my stuff and I get to my gate. And as I sit on my gate, I look up and I see a bunch of wrestlers. Huh. Heading over to L.A. And who do I see? I see a guy named Adrian Nails that I knew. That we kind of came up together. Okay. That So he had just as much experience as I did, more or less. And he was about my height. Also jacked. Yeah. Good looking dude. Like, uh, like we're basically like, I, I looked at him and I was like, I think it might be between me and him. Mm. Mm. That might be like my If they're one. casting a type. If they're casting a type. Because he's also like rocks the hat backwards. Kind of like does the party boy thing. Sure. And um, and I look to the left, and I see uh Christina Crawford. Uh huh. But I don't know her as Christina Crawford. I know her as um Alicia Fox's sister. Right. I don't know her personally. I just know who she is. I know of her, but I know her to be signed. And I go for a fact. Like I, I've seen you on the FCW roster page. Like mm. you're aren't you? I didn't say this. To you. I'm not talking to anybody. Sure. I didn't say this to her. But I go. Isn't she signed? I wonder where she's going. I wonder where she, what she's up to and like what's happening there. But not too far from her is this six foot four, just 290 pound long haired kid with these big old shoulders. And I go, I know that dude. That's motherfucking Kevin Hackman. I've seen that cowboy on FCW. I know that name. Kevin Hackman is Andy Levine. Right. Right. Levine or Levine. I forget. Yeah, sure. Either. Andy. Yeah, Andy. Silent Rage. Silent Rage. And I go, I know that dude. I know that guy is signed. For a fact. For a fact. 100% certainty. I go to the FCW shows. I've seen him wrestle. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I've He's on the roster. He right. wears the cowboy hat. I've seen that dude. Why is a signed guy right here with me at the gate? Possibly two. Possibly two. So I'm, I'm a little like, mm. whatever. And um, we all get on the plane. We all keep eyeing each other, but we're not saying anything to each other. We God, keep giving each awkward. other. We keep giving each sizing other the, each other the, up. Like, the like. There's not sizing each other, but okay. there is. Well, yeah, it's kind of like hey, but you're the head bob. Uh, like, yeah, I see you. Hey, yeah. And so we get on the plane, and we're all at different parts of the plane. None of us are sitting next to each other, and it's you know a six-hour flight from Tampa to L.A. We get to LA, we land, out of the airport, uh, out of the uh, airplane we go, into the airport, and- LAX? I believe it was LAX, okay. right? I think so. Yeah. And it was cool for me, because this is my first kind of like, real, wow, show busy, jet setting, because we land in LAX, and as I step out of LAX, oh shit, there's that whole TMZ crew. There's the dude with the dreads, and the yeah. camera guys, and the, like, paparazzi's here. <laughs> Not for us, obviously, but cool. Yeah. Get, it's like you're fucking Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Like, whoa, this is real. 
clearly this is legit. I'm in I'm a, in a legit world of entertainment. It's LA. There's TMZ. So it's another feeling of like I'm making it. It's like I'm 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 breaking in. Yeah. I'm breaking in. I'm actually next your next level. Yes. I'm actually breaking into the important part of the business. The, in the epicenter right? of that business. And so so it's nothing but excitement and and anticipation and enthusiasm and op, uh, op, top, uh, optimism and and of course nerves. Yeah. Because, oh god, yeah. Yeah, nerves. That's just part of it. That's half the fun. We get to the airport and we I, I forget if somebody was holding a sign that said tough enough or WWE or something like that. We go to them and they go, hey, everybody go outside. We're waiting for a shuttle. Mm-hmm. We go outside. Shuttle pulls up. Me, Andy, Adrian Nails, Christina Crawford, and like a handful of other guys, other guys, other bros, other wrestlers and people. Yeah. You can, set, you can pick up on a wrestler. Yeah, you can. And I was like, oh. And then like just a crew of like 15 people getting in the shuttle. And then driving off. And then them telling us, you guys stand back. And another crew of 15 people getting in another shovel. And then driving off. Until eventually, you know, I got into one. We drive off. And you're told immediately, nobody's allowed to speak to each other. Right. No one's allowed to speak to each other. Because if in the event that we choose you for this show, we want initial conversations, initial reactions, initial getting to know each other's First we impressions. Want, we want all of that organically on right. camera. So nobody talked to each other. And this is, by the way, for days. This took, this was, this was a casting process that lasted several days of no talking to anybody. It was kind of torture. Yeah. And so, which is funny because that's, according to your story earlier, what wrestlers do. They don't talk to anybody. (laughs) They don't talk to anybody. They don't share anything. But of course, when you tell somebody not to do something, the first thing you want to do is like, hey, man. So badly. Yeah. So badly. So uh, the shuttles take take us to a Marriott, I want to say. That sounds right. Right? It was a Marriott, I believe. Yeah. And um, I remember it was like a block away from a 24-hour fitness, which I'm sure you were thrilled about. Yes. <laughs> well, eventually I'd be thrilled about it because they were holding us away from the gym for so long. <laughs> so um, here we are. We walk into this Marriott. We walk into the lobby. And in my mind's eye, I see 200 wrestlers. Right. Now, in retrospect, it was 20. 28. 20 to 30. Okay. Yeah. But in my mind's eye, it's 200. And there's a real good chance that I was like, just like, Involving people that had not that were on family vacations or something. sure you were oh. just like everybody in this lobby and restaurant and bar <laughs> they're all here for tough enough you're all wrestlers and yeah I, and you're all trying to get my spot you're sixty years old but damn it old timer <laughs> your time's over and then like it was one of those things where it was like immediately here you're gonna this is gonna be registered for your room you're gonna this you're gonna that go to your room once you're at your room stay in your room you will receive a phone call at the room or somebody's gonna knock on your door and let you know step by step the things you're going to do. You were going to be sequestered. Yeah. And we were. Oh, yeah. Sequestered. Just holed up in a hotel room with no access to anything outside of TV. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what if we're hungry? What if we want to get a workout in? What if we need to get that protein in? Sure. Can I call my family? Can I call my friends? Can I call my wife? Can I, like... You you were probably allowed... Like, they couldn't tell you not to use the phone, but you weren't supposed to. We weren't supposed and to. And I had a feeling they would find out if you did. Right. And so it was one of those things where... And I'm I'm not alone, I don't think, where... I'm going to be on my best behavior. Uh-huh. No matter how silly the rules are, I'm going to be on my I'm not going to call anybody. I'm not going to sneak out and look at left and right down the hallway. I did do that though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to anything. I don't want to fuck this up at all because I immediately understood this as not just shed media, WWE, eggshells, nuance, right. subtlety, 
on your best behavior. Right. No fucking You are being watched. You're being watched. You're being watched and you're being judged and you're being evaluated every second of the day, even when you don't think you are. Yeah. So you start to get phone calls to your ring, to your, to your room. I get a phone call. Hey, come down. We need to, you know, check some stuff and you go downstairs and they're like, yeah, we'd like to, you know, fill out this like psych evaluation right they had us do an entire mental health evaluation you grab that mental health evaluation packet you go back to your room and it's 300 questions so fucking long of the weirdest questions <laughs> and i've been and we've been in our rooms for like now going on two or three days yeah and so like the questions are like <laughs> uh when you stare in the mirror do you see a yourself b yourself and people <laughs> c nobody a dog like <laughs> weird shit do you hear voices you, yeah and it was like and then it would be like really weird questions like, have you ever thought of having sex with your father? And it was like, how can I write no even harder? <laughs> yes. It was really going 300 questions of these kinds. of. How questions. many you's in fuck <laughs> no. And then I'd like freak myself out because, man, I was going stir crazy and getting, getting this cabin fever. And I would stare in the mirror and be like, how many people do I see? Let's see. And I would stare too long because then I would start to like freak myself <laughs> you're like do i see people and then i would like see me making faces and like convince myself i wasn't making those faces <laughs> you're i was just making all this shit up i was just tr- driving myself crazy you're going too crazy <laughs> and then there's like all right you need to go get a cat scan so they take 30 wrestlers to get a cat scan you need to get a physical blood work blood work drug tests there's all these things they're making everybody do whether you get picked for the show or right. not they're making everyone do. And when they're getting people together, you are not to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But after like two or three, after like two or three days, um, I remember talking to one of the uh, APs or one of the guys, gophers or whoever, going, yeah. dude, like we need to go to a grocery store and we need to go to the gym and we need to like, we're wrestlers. And like, he was like, um, really? Okay. And then he left, came back like two hours later. And he's like, turns out a lot of you guys feel this way. And I was like, dude, we're like, we need protein, we need gym, we need tanning. Right, you need to move your athletes. We're pro wrestlers, man. And he goes, I, it's weird because, like, I don't know, the last time I did this, like, the last project I worked on was The Bachelorette or The Bachelor. And all the women just were happy just kind of ordering room service and watching TV for three or four days sequestered. I go, dog, we're, we're going crazy. We're athletes. Yeah. So then they started taking us to the gym. Wow. I thought that was the plan all along. No, they weren't planning on any of that. Fuckers. Yes, because they didn't know. No, for three days, we'll hold them up, and then they'll be happy to be on a show right. or go home. No, they were just locking us in our rooms, and we're sitting here going, must have protein. Yeah. Need to bench press. <laughs> so they would take us to the gym, which is where like you start seeing – I would start seeing faces that I hadn't seen already. Like, yeah. oh, that's where – the gym is where I would see Ivelisse right. getting her squats and her push-ups, and she was – just a little savage in the gym. Out. and I would see Matt Cross and I would see like Martin or I'd see you or or faces that I, that didn't end up on that show right and so we'd go to the gym but you could still kind of tell they were wrestlers and yeah, that absolutely. they were there they weren't just working out at 24 hour fitness getting their fucking swole on exactly they were here for tough enough right and then so at one point one of the a- APs go alright we're gonna take you guys to the grocery store and you've never seen 20 wrestlers happier <laughs> yes because we're like oh we can buy like protein and chicken and yeah like, and veggies you know, whatever and anything we need we can get our protein in because dude all i was i was living off of protein powder Ugh. and water protein powder and water and um although those three days like i ended up shredded because yeah, of i was that. gonna say you must uh... we go they take us to a grocery store we walk in and they take us to whole foods they take us to fucking whole foods yeah 
And we're walking around. I've actually never been in a Whole Foods before that. I've only been to like, you know, regular affordable grocery yes, stores. Yeah. So I'm walking around Whole Foods. I'm like, man, this place is palatial. <laughs> and there's a whole olive bar and there's a whole de- – look at the deli section, sushi. Dish. I'm used to like your pretty standard grocery stores. <laughs> right. And I'm like, this this Whole Foods is legit. <laughs> but what do I need? I'm a, I'm a broke pro wrestler. Yeah. I go to the tuna section immediately. Sure. Go right to the tuna to get the cheap, good protein. And I'm looking at these cans after cans, dolphin free and dolphin safe and this and – and every can of tuna is $9 or $14. I'm used to buying tuna for a dollar. Yeah, 99 cents for some fucking I'm like, what chicken the? of the sea. And, yeah, and I'm staring at a can. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I look over to my right, and I see a fellow professor who's also staring at a can of tuna, just kind of sh- scratching his head. And he's like, ugh. And I could see on his face the pain that I'm having. Are we going to really spend $12 on a can of tuna? Like, uh, we need protein. You guys had a moment. They took us here. Yeah. Why Whole Foods? Why not? I don't know. Whatever. You know? Why didn't, not? Didn't they end up paying for the groceries or did that come out of pocket? No, that remember. was out of pocket. Was dog. it? They, no, my, it came out of my pocket. Yeah. Did they pay for your groceries? Good for you. I don't, well, I honestly don't remember. I honestly <laughs> no. don't. They, I think they were giving us a, a, a daily, what's it called? Pay, right? Uh, a per diem. A per diem. Yeah. So they were hoping you'd just use that to buy your groceries. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I'm staring at this guy and he's staring at me and we didn't say anything to each other because we know we're not supposed to talk to each other. Sure. And then I was like, fuck it. Dude, can you believe this is 12 bucks? And he's like, that's what I'm saying. And then we immediately go like, why the fuck did they bring us to a Whole Foods? And he's like, I don't know, dude. I go, I'm Mike, by the way. He goes, oh, I'm Matt. And I was like, oh, cool. You look familiar. He goes, oh, well, some people call me Matt Cross. Some people know me as uh, M-Dog. Yeah. Some people call it. And I was like, oh, I know you from the front cover of Backyard, Backyard Wrestling, Wrestling. <laughs> for PlayStation. Yeah. PlayStation yeah. 1 or 2 or some shit. Yeah. I was like, I know you. I'm pretty sure I've seen you on Wrestling Society X or some shit. I think so. And he's like, really? and he was like surprised. He's like, where? Dude? Like he was almost like flattered. Yeah. Like, oh, dude. So, well, somebody who knows their shit. Yeah, like somebody that's, that like knows their wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I was like, holy shit, dude. You're awesome. And he's like, thanks. Immediately, I was like, you know. I could I could vibe with this guy. He was so cool. Yeah. And if you don't know Matt, by the way, he is the sweetest guy. The nicest. So guy. fucking nice. And so talented. So um nice enough that it eventually became his downfall. <laughs> I I hope I can get he and I have had some preliminary conversations. God, I hope to get this interview with Matt Cross. I hope you do too, because I think Matt might think that the, some of the things he experienced on that show were real. And I think he was set up. Mm. Personally, I hope to hear his. I hope to hear his his side of it. I really do. Well, yeah, we'll get into that. So, so me and this and Matt are like kind of getting to know each other or getting to know each other's names and like trying not to press too much conversation. Sure, but you could see that we're both so eager for human conversation because <laughs> the only thing that was like constantly playing in my head, and I know for sure Luke's head because we talked about it afterwards. There was one Taco Bell commercial that kept playing. Again and again and again about like oh my the new steak something or other. Oh my god! Do you remember what I'm talking? about? It's starting to come back to me. And it was this, and it was like this little jingle. That's like a whole fucking cow or some shit. What? And this Taco Bell commercial played a hundred million times a day on any channel in that hotel room. Right. And that ch- that commercial was stuck in everybody's head. <laughs> it was. 
it was not subliminal messaging. It was like bliminal messaging. Yeah, bliminal. <laughs> like here. I'm, I'm also going to look that up on YouTube because I hadn't thought of that is a memory that just got dusted off for the first time in a decade. <laughs> but I absolutely know what you're talking yeah. about. It's amazing the things you forget you remember. Yeah. <laughs> well said. And so uh, like we go back and we buy whatever fucking groceries we, we can afford. Sure. You know, I buy a gallon of milk. I'm going to nurse that gallon of milk. It's protein. It's some sugar. It's some, you know, I mean, like. Right. Some some chicken uh, from the deli, and uh, and then what I do remember is I remember watching Raw that that night and The Rock making his return. Yeah, that night and me going, oh, oh man! Between The Rock's return and Tough Enough being a thing, wrestling's gonna be awesome again because I hadn't been really in love with the product. I mean, I watched it, of course. It was habit, sure. And it had become learning habit more than anything. By that point, I'm trying to learn now. And stay in the loop of whatever's going on. And stay in the loop. But I hadn't felt any kind of like overwhelming inspiration from the product in in a minute. The Rock coming back, tough enough happening, all these things kind of coming together. Also, it was WrestleMania season, which is always a little bit more exciting. Right. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So wrestling was starting to feel like, not as, as a fan, wrestling was starting to get exciting for me. As a performer, wrestling was starting to get very real mm. because I'm in the thick of things now with this comp- with this show and, and quickly and very you went from quickly. being fucking greeny on the on the indie scene for a year or so and now you are in deep far deeper waters very quickly. So the infamous interview day, the day in which the you firing get, squad, the firing squad, everyone everyone's like, all right, they bring everybody down to the lobby or some some sort of conference room mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. sit everybody down. And they go, okay, here's the deal. We're going to bring you down one person at a time. You're going to go through those double doors when we give you the, the go. Once you walk in through those double doors, you're going to see an X marks the spot. You're going to walk to that X and then have a good time. <laughs> and nobody understood what that meant. Right. So we were just like, oh boy, this, this is the actual audition. Right. Everything else part of that was garbage. None of what made everything part of that made no difference. Right. This is when you get, you're either on or you're off. Nut cut in time. That's right. In front of not just, it was Shed Media executives, USA Network executives, and WWE John Laurinaitis, uh, Big John Gaburik, mm-hmm. who was a producer on prior prior Tough Enoughs. I think Kevin Dunn was yeah, there, who fucking directs was. Raw and has for was. generations right. at this point. Just as he's, Kevin Dunn is just as integral a part of WWE success as Vince McMahon. Right. I would say. He he is the Vince McMahon of the television presentation, right? And uh, and he's been doing it for forever and ever, ever. And ever. So it's that day, and everyone's like starting to get like they're rubbing their hands together. They're starting to get the butterflies and the queasy, and they're like, "Oh fuck, this is a make or break time." Yep. And they send everybody back to the rooms, I believe, and they bring everybody back down like five people at a time. A little bit, yeah. A couple people in the waiting room or in the lobby when right. you go in. So you go down. So I'm back in my room. And I'm like, do I practice a promo? Do I? I don't even know what I'm gonna say. Do I say the things I said in my tape? Right. I don't even remember what I really said. I don't even remember any of the things I I wrote in my application. <laughs> so Shit. if they if they have my application and they speak to like, hey, could you speak to this part of your application where you talk? I don't. Know. I lied. A lot of that was right. Like you know, trying to just be impressive. You're like, I don't know. I just got out of the gym. <laughs> like. <that's- laughs> You caught me in an awkward moment. (laughs) So I was like, shit. So I'm in my room kind of like pacing back and forth. Whatever. The phone call comes in. Fuck God. 
heart right. jumps into your fucking throat. My my heart is in my throat and my mouth is so dry. <laughs> I've never had that kind of cotton mouth before. Yeah. And I'm and I'm like I'll, I'll be right down. I I go down, you know, the elevator uh, or rather somebody comes up, gets me. Right. We go down the elevator. You have a chaperone all the time. All the time, that's right. And then they bring me into that waiting area and in that waiting area is like another four or five people maybe. Yeah. And we're all kind of sitting at each individual tables waiting, eyeing each other, nervous, waiting for whoever's in there right now going through the firing squad to come out. And read their face. Yeah, just to get a get sense anything. of anything. Give me anything. And every time the door would open just a little, I try to kind of like get a sneak peek as to what's inside, but I couldn't see anything. All I could see was that it was pitch dark in there. <laughs> so the first so we're all sitting in this, you know, it's like five of us sitting in this waiting area. And the uh one of the casting directors goes, "You it's your turn. Go or you go on deck. And so I'm like, okay. So I get up, I go on deck, and I just wait outside the doors because someone's in there going through the firing squad. Right. What are you wearing? Are you in a suit? Are you in like a tight polo? Dude, that's a great jacked? question. So like I didn't want to wear a suit, but you know that WWE Fuck, pays yeah. attention to that. Are you wearing, you know, the dress code? Or, yeah. But the dress code, like, I'm I'm not tall. I'm I'm fairly muscular. I'm, sure, I'm not tall. Fairly, but- fuck you. You're a brick shit house, <laughs> especially like, at the time. So if I want to show off this this physique, which is one of my you know one of my what I bring to the table, right. For your product, I, I I usually need to wear a tank top, a, a tight t shirt, something along those lines. Fuck it, whatever. I'll rock a button shirt. All right, I'll rock whatever. So I rocked a tight button shirt, pulled up the sleeves a little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, slacks and then uh, a fedora. Just a little funky fedora. This was when fedoras were just starting to become not cool. Was it like that blue, that aqua blue button up? Because I think there was somewhere I was going through old pictures and at the dinner, at like the post tough enough dinner WrestleMania weekend, I think you were wearing something similar. No, this was a striped button shirt. Okay. This okay. was a striped black button shirt. Yeah. Definitely and remember the fedora, you douche. The fedora. I had two fedoras. That's <laughs> two <what> I- <laughs> of them. <laughs> and p- part of the fedora was one. I like fedoras, even though you're they not. They do look cool. They do. But you know, I understand the heat in them. Of course. So let's let's take advantage Lean of that. Lean into it. Miz rocks the fedora. He gets heat out of it. No, that's right. He did for a while. Yeah, for for a decent amount of time. In the yeah. Beginning. And um, back then at least. And so, or prior to that. So, anyways, I'm on deck, and I'm standing there, and I can just like I can feel. You know when you're so nervous, like, I need to take a shit immediately. <laughs> uh-huh. This needs to happen right now or, or my life is ruined. Or like before you go through the curtain for a show, you get the pee. You're the like, pee. I just peed. I just peed. Why do I have to pee again? So it's, it's so I start getting the shits. Like the, oh, 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 God, no, please. Not now. And you start to, like, just pray to any God that might exist. Like, oh, just Allah, Buddha, Jesus, anybody, just Christ Almighty, just somebody help me. And I'm... Just, just clenching every sphincter muscle I could possibly accumulate, because I'm so like at that point. Good thing you didn't skip sphincter day, <laughs> bro. Mad sphincter gains. You don't even know. So, so all of a sudden the double doors open, and the guy that was in there walks right out. And the guy that walked out, he didn't end up on the show. Okay, but he was a taller dude with kind of a buzz cut. Didn't look like any anything spectacular, but he was tall and broad. Maybe had some personality. I don't know. But when he walked out, he literally went, fucking nailed that. Ooh, interesting. And, and he didn't make it to the show. He didn't make it to – but the way – yeah, and he said it like that. I was like, oh, no. Ugh. That dude fucking nailed it. Why did they need to see me for it? Yeah. That's nonsense. 
So he leaves. They close the double. I was actually getting ready to go in, and the casting director goes, no, not yet. Right. They close the double door. They need to, like, review. Not even. No? They were being delivered their lunch. Yay for me! Oh, no! <laughs> it's lunchtime! Yay for me! Because now I know they're going to be in a decent mood. Oh, shit. I thought you were being sarcastic, because it means, like, now you get to wait outside and get all in your fucking head Listen, for another half hour. If they literally had told, at that point, if they literally told me, your life is waiting outside of these doors forevermore now. You will die in the spot. I would have been fine with it. As long as I didn't have to go in there with shit like that. With, on the verge of shitting myself. See. I was like, hey, 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 hey. Let, them, let them eat They lunch. get to eat. You get to shit. I, <laughs> I, but I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. I had to stand oh, there. Oh, no. I had to stay there and just like just manifest my shit away through like some sort of you know, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> and so – but it was only like maybe 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. And then they opened the double doors. And they're like, go ahead. And I, and my legs wouldn't work. And I was like, uh, uh, trying to move. And so the, this girl, the casting director was like, uh, you ready to go? And I was like, sure am. Oh God. Took a deep breath. And I was like, fuck it. What am I, what am I afraid? What am I afraid of? I'm here. The fact that I'm just here is already miles away from where I was a year and a half ago. The fuck am I afraid of? Fuck these people. Yeah. Oh, I was almost resentful. Like, fuck yeah. all these people that have so much overwhelming power over, over my emotions and yeah. feelings and life right now. <laughs> Control my destiny. <laughs> so I walked in, like, literally starting to feel like, fuck these people. I walked in kind of swaggy, like, nah, fuck that. I Don't be mad. Don't be, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Well, don't be. And you were talking earlier when we were lifting, too. That hint of fuck you. That hint of fuck can you. Be the, can be make or break. Yeah. And so when you found that, I'm sh- I mean, I'm, of course your legs started working again. Those motherfuckers are lucky to see you right now. <laughs> That type of shit. And that hint of fuck you lets them know I'm not desperate for this, yeah. even if you are. I'm not desperate for this. My life continues with or without whatever this is. Right. So I, I kind of got myself in that in that mind frame, and I kind of swagged over to X marks the spot. And as I walk over there, I can hear each of my footsteps in my in my shiny shoes, you know, click, click, clack, clack, click. Yeah. And I stand on X marks the spot, and I look up, and what do I see? I see this pitch black room to me yep with me a, too with that's a, how i remember it a giant spotlight right above dude i describe it as the police interrogation light yeah so it, but like where were you on the night of right. march 3rd but like 10 times the size this yeah giant spotlight a big old hd camera in your face i believe a green screen or a blue screen behind you some type of backdrop yeah some type of backdrop chair yeah and i look up and you're right. So the way the seats, the firing squad, the way the uh, tables are set up, it was a long table on the left uh-huh. that was full of shed media. Yep. A long table across that was uh, WWE. Right. And a long table on the right that was USA Network. Right. Shaped in the connecting you. Right. That faced you. The yep. open part of the you faced you. Yep. And I look up and uh, I go, hi, how's everybody, how's everybody doing? <laughs> but like. Initially, you could hear that like that tremble in my voice. I was like, "Hi, how's everybody doing?" Oh man! I was like, mm. "I go, <clears throat> I'm gonna admit something to you guys. I'm really nervous, and I don't know why. Clearly, nobody here is scary or impressive. I don't know how much money you people make. I don't know if you're worth this or worth that, or I don't know what's going on. But I'm nervous, and I'm trying not to be. So I'm wow. just letting you guys know this is where I'm at. Full transparency. For, I felt like." Owning it allowed me to get the shakes out of my voice. Right. Because I was being honest. Now I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm just being honest. 
You're being authentic. Organic and authentic. Yeah. yeah. Or sincere, at least. I go, so I'm just putting it out there. And they're all like, okay, well, you know, thank you so much for coming. And somebody from uh, Shed Media goes, uh, goes uh, hi, so, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, which is a question I hate. Yeah. You know, because it's like, man, where do I start? So open-ended. It's so open-ended and like what is important in this space to tell you about myself. And so they go, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I go, um, well, my name is Michael Zaki. I uh, love pro wrestling. Uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Jamie. And um, and as I'm saying this, I can hear the, the clinging and clanging of like forks on plates and eating mm, and drinks. God, and, how awkward and I can nerve hear wracking. And, yeah. And I'm like, um, and I, uh, I, can, I can hear everybody eating their lunches here. And uh, so I hope you guys are in a good mood because of your lunches. Um, and I'm hoping to be in a good mood at the end of all this, too. That's what I said. And nothing. You could hear a pin drop. They couldn't give a shit <laughs> about what I had just said. Yeah. And they're like, you could literally hear go someone go, mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-huh. And then I go, um, but yeah, uh, so, you know, I'm trying to get on this competition and uh, win it. Is that what you guys are looking for? What are you guys looking for? And, um, and I forget what happens, but there's a point of the conversation where all of a sudden, Kevin Dunn starts to ask questions. Yeah. He's like, well, tell us about your wife. Oh, you know, my wife is beautiful and, you know, we've been together forever. And, you know, we have a, a what I believe to be a great relationship because it's not traditional in, in the sense that, like, she has a full fleshed out life that she lives. I have a fully fleshed out life that I live. And then we overlap the fun parts of our lives together. But, you know, we don't confuse relationship with ownership and things of that sort. Again, nothing. So I'm standing there. I'm like, man, what do these people want? What do these people want? What the fuck? And uh, all of a sudden, I hear a, a, a familiar voice. Hey, baby, let me ask you something, baby. And I was like, Dusty Rhodes is here? Do you remember Dusty Rhodes being there? No. Dusty Rhodes was there. What? You don't remember Dusty Rhodes being no! there? No. Are you fucking serious? I'm being serious. I'm, I'm almost positive it was Dusty. It was Dusty. Michael Why Hayes do I was not there. Remember this? Michael Hayes was there. Wasn't Michael Hayes there? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember fucking Laurenitis, <laughs> Kevin Dunn, and John, John Big John Gaborik. He was there for sure. But fucking Dusty, Dusty, Dusty was there. But he goes, "Oh, do you want to be on this?" He's like, "Yeah, do you want to be on the show?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah." He goes, "Or do you want to be a pro wrestler?" I go, "Yeah, that too." And so they start to laugh, and uh, he goes, well, "Let me ask you something. If I go, hey, Mike." Um, Forget about Tough Enough. I'm willing to offer you a developmental contract right here, right now. Forget about Tough Enough. Don't worry about that show, baby. I'm giving you a contract right here, right now. Do you forget about the show? And I was like, oh, that's a trick question. That's a fucking hard question. That's a tr- I, immediately, I was like, that's a trick question. There's no way. So I, I said something along the lines of, uh, well, to answer your trick question, Ooh. Uh, this is professional wrestling. Whether it be tough enough, whether it be a developmental contract, whether it be through the indies, through FCW, through it doesn't matter. All I know is this. There is one rule in pro wrestling. Whichever opportunity opens up, whichever window of opportunity opens up first, you take that one. Even if it's not the most efficient or if it's not your best option. The first one that opens is the one you take. The first one that opened for me is this one right here, right now. Yeah. That's why I ended the, the answer. Great answer. And that's he goes, um, pretty good answer. And then, uh, and then 
Kevin Dunn asks another question. He was like kind of harping on the whole, like, what about your your relationship? Is that that does that affect your pro wrestling at all? Or like, and I started understanding like every reality show, especially on Tough Enough, has like. Here's the meathead that can't figure things out. Here's the guy that showed up out of shape. Here's the guy that loves pro wrestling, but he's just too small, but his spirit is big. Right. There's always these casting types. And every tough enough always has. Here's the guy whose relationship is going to shits because of this. Mm. Like he cheated on somebody on the sh- with on the show. Has or- that been the meathead in the past? It's not about it wasn't about the meathead. They were just like Somebody's got a relationship that's on the rocks because of pro wrestling. Yeah. I see. So I, I, he kept talking about my relationship, my, my marriage, and I was like, man, okay, like, whatever, dude. Like, we're but good. At, <laughs> but at some point, he literally was like, what does your wife think about pro wrestling? And I go, well, my wife knows pro wrestling to be what it is that I do as far as like weekend independence. She knows that I'm a weekend warrior. I do independence here in Florida. I do this and that and the other. But my Monday through Saturday, my Monday through Friday life is pretty, pretty standard. She doesn't necessarily have a grasp at the totality of the scope that is pro wrestling. That if you're on the show, if you get signed, if you're through developmental, then you're on the main roster. The global traveling that you have to do, the 300 days on the road. The, she, doesn't, she doesn't have a grasp of that necessarily. Um, so, you know, that's what she thinks of pro wrestling. She just thinks it's the nonsense I do on the weekend and the crap I watch on TV. <laughs> right. She goes, has she given you, has she ever given you a hard time about like, or like, or how do you feel? Do you think you'd be able to stay away from your wife for that long? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love her. But if you were to ask her, she'd be like, yeah, yeah, we, we can take time away. That's we're cool. Um, she, and he was like, you know, it could be anywhere up to eight weeks. You can stay, you can like be out of your relationship for that long. I'm not out of my relationship. I'm just not living. Right. Just be, I'll be doing a thing. You're not geographically adjacent to right. each other. Yeah. And uh, and he goes, but would she, wouldn't she get upset? Mm. She might. Yeah. Now I'm starting to go. I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. This is starting to get weird. They're yeah. really harping on this. So I go, she might get upset. Honestly, no, she wouldn't. But right, let's start playing a game here. Yeah. She might get upset. I don't know. Has she ever gotten upset before? Oh yeah, you know she has her moments. She's you know she's a girl. I said misogynistly, <laughs> right? <laughs> she's a girl. You know, I'm trying to like. All right, now I'm I can heal. You're leaning, yeah, exactly. And uh, I go, listen, you guys. I don't know why you have so many questions about my relationship, but here's what I'm about. I'm a meathead. I love working out. I love pro wrestling. I'm fun. I'm creative. I you know, I'm I'm a flirt, right? And they start perking. Oh, you're a flirt. What does that mean you're a flirt? Tell us about that. Well, you know, if I'm walking down the street, even if I have my wife, I'm holding her hand. If there's a, you know, cute girl across the street, I'm going to look. I'm going to window shop. It's just a little window shopping. Never hurt anybody. Wow. No big thing. Hell, I'll encourage my wife to window shop. Look at him. Huh? Like, no big thing. And they're like, what? Really? You're not like some, like, macho, like, hey. How'd Ultra you-? jealous. Yeah. I go, I mean, like, you know. I'm just window shopping. That's all I'm doing, you guys. Wink, wink. And uh, and so we start talking about all that. And I'm starting to feel the room, and I'm starting to perk them up a little bit. But I don't think I've won them over. And Kevin Dunn goes, all right. I understand everything you've been saying so far. What if your wife goes, hey, that's it. You need to make a decision. The ultimatum. It's me or professional wrestling. You have to make a decision. What would you say to that? And I looked at him and I said, my wife has already given me that ultimatum. 
And what did you say? I'm here, aren't I? Ah! Huge pop. The room fucking dropped. I was like, oh, shit. This is what they want? There it is. Oh, shit. And I was all too happy to give it to them. So You were so smart to pick up on that. (laughs) So smart. You're like, I see what's happening here. I'm I'm leaning exactly where I think they want me to lead, and you called it. Yeah, and and so like I that was kind of I understood the rest of my experience with Tough Enough to be similar to that. Mm. So when I got that pop, I was like, oh shit, I got the fucking pop, sweet, and kind of ended on that note. Like uh, if that's my time, you guys, yeah, tip your waitresses and good night. Know, yeah, <laughs> away I walked, and I how'd you feel? I felt like I fucked up. Did you? I felt even with that pop. I felt like I'd say they if they only remembered the pop, I was good. Right. If they went back and watched the tape and watched the first fifteen minutes, I'm nice. I'm personable. You're I'm, struggling a little bit I'm, with answers. Yeah, like I'm. Tr- I'm giving wishy washy answers. If they watched the last fifteen, the first fifteen minutes is that. The last fifteen minutes, I'm knocking it out the park. But. Am I knocking it out? Getting a reaction from these people doesn't necessarily mean they're going to put me on their shitty show. True. So I don't know how to feel. I walked out actually feeling relieved. If they send me home, thank God. Yeah. If they send me home, if they do, just I just don't want to be sequestered and and you know poked and prodded and yeah. touched by a phys- you know doctors and scanned. Let out to the gym and the grocery store oh. with fourteen dollar cans of fucking tuna. <laughs> so um, so all that's happened and. Yeah, where are we at on time? You have an appointment in like 90 minutes? At 3 o'clock. Okay. Yeah, we're okay. Should we go another hour? I don't think we're going to fucking cover everything today, dude. Like, well, I was only on the show for like two or three weeks. So, no, okay, you're, we'll, let's, let's see what we can get to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I get out. I don't walk out going, nailed it. I walked out going, oh, I got a shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, where's the bathroom? <laughs> I can't make it to my room. Oh, God. Too far. Wrong. Don't get me on the elevator that takes me 37 <laughs> stories up. We don't have time. We don't have time for that right now. <laughs> Anyways, so that's done. And then I don't know how long, if it was that same day or the next day, I don't remember. I think it must, it must have been the, the next morning when they made a decision. I think so. The next morning, they let us know, all right, you'll get your answer as to whether or not you'll, you know, you're part of the cast or away you go uh you'll get that in the morning cool go back to our rooms watch that taco bell commercial for the (laughs) 9,000th time find a way to fall asleep you you force yourself to sleep so you can wake up to get to the next day right the next day gets here and now you're just i'm up since 6 a.m just waiting just waiting waiting oh god how many showers am i gonna take like (laughs) finally a phone call Hey, um, we're going to come up to your room and we're going to give you some information. Okay, I'm up here. And I hang up the phone and about 10 minutes later, knock, knock, knock on my door. I go to the, my room or my uh, door. I open the door and it's one of the APs with a camera guy behind her yep. going, hi, Mike. We just want to let you know that uh, you have been selected to be a contestant on WWE's Tough Enough. Congratulations. And the camera's right there and they walk into my room and I'm like, what? <laughs> and like, yeah, like celebrate or some shit. And I was like, ah, so I jump on my bed and like, I'm doing cartwheels in my room and I'm like, that's amazing. And, uh, and she's like, did you think you were like, what'd you think? And I was like, I honestly thought you were guys going to send me home. I, and she went, really? We thought you did really good. And I was like, you did <laughs> you bitch you guys you need to tell me this stuff i've been stressing myself out you this whole time <laughs> you 
kayfabing motherfuckers. Ow, all so much kayfabe. I can't handle it. So immediately they're like, all right, now we're just going to check all the clothes you brought. Make sure there's no logos on anything. Make sure they're all TV okay, all camera approved. They looked at all my shit and they were literally like, cool. Now go downstairs at this time and your, your competition begins. Yeah. What? I'm not ready. I, I, I'm not even sure I took that shit. I'm not ready. <laughs> so pack all our shit. We go, I go downstairs into a conference room. And when we go into the conference room, I look around and I see Doug LeBeau. I see Eric. What's his last name? Watts. No. Oh, Van Wagenen. Van Wagen. Went Wagenen? Wagenen. Damn, Eric, you couldn't come up with an easier last name, bro? <laughs> Wagenen? Van Wagenen. All right. So Eric. Yeah. <laughs> that dude. And, um, and then I see wrestlers. Yeah. And I see like Eric Watts. Sure. I see Andy. And I was like, I know that dude. I see you. I see skid marks. I see Matt Cross. I'm like, oh, shit. Matt's here. I see. I love that you still refer to Ryan as skid marks. Oh. <laughs> and we, we, we will get to that. Absolutely. That poor guy. He was so nice. And um, I see all these guys, all these people. And um, I don't think. Miss USA. I don't think Remo was there though. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't dawn her on us until like the day of at the house. I don't think. Right? Was she at the arena for the cleanup crew? That's what it was. No, maybe she met us there. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember either. I. I don't think they would have brought her in after auditions and stuff. No. Well, yeah. Well, especially after a challenge, too many people would be like, "Who the fuck is this? Right? Why is she?" Well, of, as the show aired, they aired us. Getting to the house first and then going on the field trip. When in reality, we did the field trip to San Diego for the SmackDown cleanup at the arena. Immediately. Immediately. And then went to the house after that. Right. Chron- like in real life chronological order. That's right. But they filmed it the oh, way they did it. Oh, is that how they filmed it? I forgot. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally forget. So I- Remo had to have been there at least from the arena cleanup crew. So mm. then, because then, of course, they show her getting to the house. Right. So. I see this, I, you know, I'm in this conference room and then Eric speaks to the whole room and he goes, all right, congratulations, ladies and gentlemen, look around. This is your WWE Tough Enough 2011 contestants. Congratulations, you guys. And everybody gives each other a round of applause. Right. And he starts giving us the rundown. You guys are going to hop into a shuttle and you're going to start seeing cameras in the shuttle and, you know, and he starts giving us like the cues, like you're not going to talk to each other, uh, you know, when the during these times, we'll let you know when you're allowed to start having interactions with each other, this and that and the other. Don't look at the cameras. Don't act like the, they're not there. Right, exactly. So, cool. Now I'm so stoked. and Dude, you must have been stoked and nervous. Oh, my God. I'm like, it's fucking happening. It's happening. What's this is on? real now. It's crazy. So, we, we they basically load us up in this bus. And as we're sitting in this bus, I'm assuming we're going... WWE on the side of the bus, by the way. It is not subtle. Right. It's not some fucking airport (laughs) shuttle. It's plastered with the WWE and, I think, Tough Enough logo. Was it the Tough Enough logo? I think the Tough Enough logo was on there, too. I remember stopping at a gas station because people had to pee or whatever <laughs> and like somebody coming up to us and this was before we even got to the San because we were the shuttle took us from LA mm-hmm. to the arena in San Diego mm-hmm. we stopped again like somewhere along the way and some dude with his kid like came up to us he saw the bus and he saw us get out and was just like um like hey we just you know we're, we're big WWE fans and can we like get a picture with you guys whoa before 
we shot anything <laughs> on the show. So he crazy. just saw the vehicle and the logo and was like, these guys have to be with WWE somehow. But our faces were literally nowhere. Nowhere. We I- weren't broadcasted. They hadn't released publicly who was on the cast. They just saw the logo and saw us and were like, we just want a picture with them. We don't know who they are, but they're WWE something. It's funny how it's amazing, really, how savvy these these fans can can be because in the very beginning, they're like, those are the new Tough Enough guys. I'm pretty sure they're the Tough Enough guys. You mean this was outside the arena as we're walking in? As we're walking in. Yeah. And I was like, how do they already know? Right. Like, well, at the gas station, though, this was just like, again, some dad, some middle-aged dad with his kid. I don't, I don't know that he was like a... He's not the type that I would look at and be like, oh, he's a devoted WWE gotcha. fan. He just I saw think, the logo. I think the saw kid the saw the logo and was like, uh, dad, wrestler. <laughs> yeah. And like your dad's like, I don't fucking know. I just right. know, I see the bus and I see you guys and you're jacked and you're tall and you guys must be wrestlers. <laughs> but yeah, we, we when I, I, I'll let you take it over from here. But when we got there, you're right. There were the fans. We get to the arena. They park the bus. They set up some cameras for us to film us getting out of the bus and walking down this ramp into the bowels of the arena. Yes. And there are fans, no security barricade or anything, no. but fans on either side, like keeping their distance, like away from the cameras and everything. But yeah, there they, we heard them. We heard them say it as we were walking off the bus and into the arena that like, oh, my God, those must be the tough enough guys. Yeah. And it was crazy because we're on the bus and. You start to see the camera guys just starting to scan and pan across the yeah. bus, and you have to pretend you're, you know, stoically staring out the window. Deep thought, deep thought, thinking That's about right. your life. That's right, and and like, but I'm like, I'm doing that, trying to capture, have them capture my good side. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. At the same time, I I just want to study the faces that are in this bus with me. Like, who are these people? Right? Are they like me? Are they like? And I'm also sizing up the competition. I'm looking at all the dudes, and I'm like, who's big? Who's strong? Who's fast? Who's this? Who's that? Right. And so I don't know if they told us we were going to SmackDown, but to my elation, we pull up to an arena and I was like, oh, shit. San Diego sports something. It something wasn't huge. Yeah. It's like a smaller arena. It wasn't like the like a, a big full on basketball sized arena, but it, it was fuck. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was big enough where they shot SmackDown there. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm like, holy crap. We're, they they take the bus into the bowels of the arena. Yep. We get out. And immediately we're backstage. Right. I was like, whoa. Like, we just stepped out of the bus and immediately we're backstage. The backstage that I see on, cut to the back. Yeah. I'm there. The set, the awkwardly placed Titantron oh, where everybody's that's... for some reason watches it sideways whenever the camera's on them because wrestling for I mean, some reason. That's right. Because wrestling. <laughs> because wrestling. Because wrestling. Well, because Vince McMahon, because he doesn't like the back of a wrestler. He wants to see like their profile. <laughs> Fucking shoot their face and then shoot what they're watching or shoot what they're watching and then their face. There's another way to do it. So um, we're like, oh, shit. And this to me is my first experience with WWE proper Truly, I'd never because you hadn't been an extra. I hadn't done extra work. I hadn't done any gigs like that. I hadn't done anything. This was my first time. So it, I'm, I'm literally on what to me is sacred ground. Like, oh right. my god, this is the I've. It looks exactly how I see it on TV. Are you marking out? You seeing people yet? Internally, I'm marking oh, of the course. F- it's fireworks, <laughs> and it, and I'm just seeing all of the wrestlers walking back. Oh, there's Cody Rhodes. Oh, there's Sheamus. Oh my god. Yeah. And to me, it was one of those things where it was like. I, I I may have told you this before, but like my dog Tyson, he's eighty pounds. He's a big, hefty dog. Yeah, eighty pounds. And when I take him to the dog park and he messes with all the other dogs, he's a big dog. Right. Until actual big dogs show up. Mm. So when you have dogs that are a hundred, hundred and ten, one hundred and forty pounds, 
he goes, oh, and you could see it on his on his face. He goes, I'm not a big dog. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's what happened with me. I walked in and I was like, oh, God. Yeah. You start seeing guys like Big Show, Seamus, uh, Cesaro, just these enormous human beings walk cane yeah and they're walking around like normal human beings but they're but they're coffee or they're 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 checking their phone yeah but they're these real life brontosauruses (laughs) in front of me and like i'm literally like oh my and all i hear in my head is you know Like I just hear Jurassic Park, and I'm like, these are all monsters. What the fuck am I doing here? I'm yeah. nothing. <laughs> you go into the bathroom, and you're like, now that is one big pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but then immediately I get, like, you know, I, I get the nervous, like, whose hands am I supposed to shake? Right. But we're in the middle of a TV show, apparently, or we're starting one. Right. So immediately they're corralling us over to a place, and they're like, hey, go over here. Uh, he's going to put some jumpsuit on you. Right. Get the fuck out of everybody's yeah. way. Get out of this way. And, and then, like, there's the, their um their magic guy, their effects guy. Forget his name. Oh, yeah. Their props guy. Their props guy. Too. Yeah. So he's mixing this, like, gross-looking, vomity-style um, mixture that they're going to dump on, I think, um, what's her name? Guerrero? Uh, Vicky. Vicky Guerrero's head, yeah. I think. Uh, like they're they're getting that ready and they're asking us to mix it and we're like tasting it because there's applesauce and stuff <laughs> in it and uh, we're doing all this next to um uh fuck this is how how long I've been out of yeah yeah what's the name of um that Mexican wrestler his legend his dad was a legend like he used to be an MMA ward mask got kicked in the head Alberto Del Rio thank you yeah Jesus Christ Alberto <laughs> Del Rio God I'm terrible and so you remember how I used to come out to these with like inside these awesome cars sure so one of the cars was there one of the cars was there and the guy looks at me and he looks at like martin he looks at a bunch of us because like my butt was up against it as i'm trying to mix this thing Mm. and he's like hey stay the fuck away from this car do you understand if anybody touches this car you're gonna have a real problem with me and immediately i was like all gulp okay (laughs) (laughs) i can see how things things are tense yeah this is live tv this is this this is that and um also, it was probably his fucking car. <laughs> yeah. It was also probably his car. You're probably so right. if anything happens to it, it's his ass. You're probably right. And so all of a sudden, we're wearing these. They make us wear these brown jumpsuits because they're telling us we're going to help with ring crew. And ring crew, what they do is in between segments, in between tapings, in between, they come, they change the rope color, they change the canvas, they do, right. they put a new canvas on, they take the old canvas. There's a whole, they got to change the aprons. Oh, now it's not SmackDown anymore. Let's put velocity. Let's put SmackDown. Let's put whatever. Yeah. There's all these things they have to do. And so they're telling us, uh, you know, you're in, you're basically going to do ring crew for this episode. Okay, cool. And so I'm standing next to an actual guy that, that does professional ring crew for the WWE. He's been doing it for a decade. He's, he, this is his career. This is what he does. And I'm like, all right, man. So like, it's live TV. When we go out there, like, what do you, how, what do you want me to help you with exactly? This is just kind of do what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay. And so they cut, you know, it's in the middle of SmackDown. They cut the commercial, and off he goes. And he's like, come on, come on, come on. And off we go into the middle of the fucking arena. Oh, my God. Are you fucking losing your shit? I'm You're walking the aisle. Dude, I'm, it's, it's like, it's not the aisle necessarily. Oh, it's not the aisle. It's oh, okay. the side aisle. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, from, from like backstage, yeah. like underneath the, the balcony or whatever. Exactly. The second so run, row. But I'm running dead center of the arena to the ring yeah. with this guy and with other crew members. And I'm looking around. I'm like, there are like. 
10, 15, 20,000 fans in here, something like that. And, you know, they don't know me. They, they sure. assume I'm one of the crew members. And sincerely, because I was already like, I'm winning this competition. I'm going to be the best ring crew guy ever. I'm sincerely trying to help take off the canvas, rope in the new canvas, put up the, uh, the, um, the banners. And I'm sincerely trying to help, but I suck at this. <laughs> I'm slow. And there's a, a live countdown clock back from commercial. Oh, so they need everything on point. And the guy gets frustrated. And he's like, just stop fucking with this. Let me do it. Because I'm uh, literally trying to like, right. I'm trying to do the thing. Were you doing ring crew when you were coming up? Were you taught? Were you helping load rings in and out yeah. when you were paying your dues? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I did ring crew for sure. Yeah. And, but like never. 16 by 16 or something, not a WWE and never 20 a by WWE, 20. Like never. We weren't setting up a ring. We were changing a canvas and we were changing the, um. what do you call the? Uh, aprons? The aprons. Yeah. You know, they were like things that I don't do at indie shows. This is like, but I wanted to make a good impression and quote win. Right. Assuming this is part of the competition, but I was trying so sincerely that I was getting in the way of this guy's actual work. Shit. He loses his shit. He's like, dude, just stop. Just let me do it. And I'm like, all right, well, I already lost this. <laughs> off to a great start. And off we go to the back. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude. I, I was trying, just legitimately trying to help. And he's like, ah, whatever. And just walks away and does his thing. He's got, you know, a, he's got work to do today. Right. And they take us in a space and then they're like, hey, you know, confessional time. So now it's like a camera and it's like, Mike, talk about like what you've been doing so far. Oh, and did. the person saying that, by the way, is like off camera, off to the side. You're looking at you're making eye contact with this person, not the camera. Right. And they're feeding you questions. Exactly. That you are instructed to answer in complete sentences so that the only footage they show is you being like. Uh, well, when I was on Ring Crew, I blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It wasn't just like, so what was it like on Ring Crew? And you can't just start with like, it was this. this. Exactly. It was like being on Ring Crew was. Yeah. So my experience right now, it's, I'm at SmackDown. I'm on the Ring Crew. I'm trying. It's exciting. I'm giving, I'm giving you know, this confessional or what have you. And, um, and as I'm doing this, uh, the, uh, one of the, pr- the producer running that segment was like, oh, behind you. And I look behind me and it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Who I've met for, who's now I'm meeting for the first time, right? Ever, and I know, I know him to be a legend in this sport. I know him to be a wrestler that I've marked out so stupidly hard over that I popped when he won the championship at WrestleMania 14. That like when he broke his neck and it was terrible, and everyone wanted him. This is the actual, honest to God, living, breathing flesh and bone, Stone Cold Steve Austin in front of me. Yeah, and I go. <gasps> Hi, Steve. He's like, hey, hey, how are you? What's your name? And I'm like, oh, and I stick my hand out. I'm like, my name's Mike. Mike, where are you from? And I go, oh, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> I hate New Jersey. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure what to say from here. Yeah. And he's like, ah, I mean, I don't hate it, but goddamn, why are they always charging me every 12 feet on the turnpike and the highway? Because in Jersey, we do have a lot of tolls. Okay. It's a pain in the ass. But, um, so the very first thing, so you met him before, before we even got to the house, before we got to the house before, wow. yeah, before we saw him in the arena and he gives us that whole spiel. Sure. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, holy shit. Like, and so his, the very first thing Steve Austin said to me is, what's your name? Mike. Where are you from? New Jersey. I hate New Jersey. <laughs> okay. You're doing great. Yeah. So, so far, <laughs> yeah. Steve Austin hates where I'm from and the ring crew guy hates my guts <laughs> on a personal basis. Day one. Dude, hour one. Yeah. <laughs> hour one. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. 
Sure as shit, right? They do the segment on at SmackDown where they do the uh, confetti for uh, Dolph Ziggler's celebration. I think he, I think it was Edge. Was it Edge? I think it was Edge. It was either the 300th or 600th episode of SmackDown. Oh, I forget which one. Was? That was the big deal, yeah. Oh. But Edge was, um, what? They were going to WrestleMania 27, so I want to say it, it, there was a program with Edge and Alberto Del Rio building. Ah. But Edge, yeah. Edge. I don't know why I thought it was a Dolph Ziggler segment where he was celebrating some cheap win but overtly celebrating with confetti right because vicky guerrero ran smackdown at the time or something i don't remember right honestly, it was a long time ago i honestly don't remember but um but the confetti falls and it's on us to clean up the confetti right at the end of the night and i don't know about you but man did i try to clean up that confetti I don't think I've ever ever tried to clean harder in my life. Right? So my back is starting to seize up and my shoulders and I'm, but I'm not stopping because sweeping the fuck out of that confetti. Everything is, everything is competition now. Right. And we're being watched, judged all the time. All the time. Turns out who, they didn't give a shit. I could have not swept anything like Jeremiah and been fine. Yeah. (laughs) He was just standing there like, I'll sweep whenever I feel like fucking sweeping. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that dude's legit. He's, that's what I should be doing. Yeah, he gets it. (laughs) He had done reality TV before. I think he was a contestant on The Ultimate Fighter. Was he? Is that where I know him from? Or I don't know. He had this nickname, Big I know he he was a fighter. Right. uh, But he, I I remember hearing that he came from some other reality show. Uh. So it wasn't his first reality gotcha. rodeo so Man. i'm sure by at that time he's just like the fewer fucks i give the better right well yeah i bet and so um so we do that and i'm about to cancel my what's it called i don't need to go there you sure yeah there's no need i well, mean i can get my eyes checked another time i'm glad to hear your priorities are in line <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no i'm my, stoked bro Thank it's just my vision for yeah sure. yeah yeah it's fine and check the timer too what are we going uh let's see Two hours and 25 minutes already. Already? Jesus. Should we wrap it up? No. Oh, I mean, I don't know how much space you have on this thing. Let's check. I have seven and a half hours. Oh, nice. I have a far larger memory card now. Like I told you, I was getting my shit together. I got headphones now. I've got a splitter so we can listen to this shit. Like I'm I'm learning as I go, but I feel like I'm picking it up pretty well. So we got nothing but time. Yeah, man. I honestly, I think you're actually doing a really good job. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So um, I feel like it's going well. I think so. And so. We're done with the confetti. I, we're done with the night at SmackDown, I believe. No, we're not. We get out of our jumpers, and now it's time to introduce Stone Cold to the crew, to us. Right. Right? Was it at that SmackDown? I'm not sure. I don't... I thought it was a Raw. I think it was a Raw that they did that. What Raw? Which Raw would have it been, though? Because, like, that SmackDown, they, shut, they basically shut everything down. Yeah. And then was like, that not before the show? I thought that was before a show that we did the the segment with Steve where we like jogged to the ring and maybe right. not. I mean, again, I'm, I'm this is where I'm a little fuzzy. It may have been like late ass in the night after we clean up the confetti. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm remembering. But man, I could be wrong because yeah. like when else would Steve Austin kind of introduce himself to everybody? Just show up on right? a smack random SmackDown because he didn't show up on the show. Right. He, it wasn't televised this he was, was there. Yeah, he wasn't on SmackDown, but he was backstage, right. obviously. And so um, so I, I'm pretty sure that's when it happened. We're all, uh, we're all, you know, out of our jumpers. They changed all the SmackDown logos to whatever. WWE. Tough enough logos. Tough enough logos. That's right. And then, and then they have us wait backstage. Yeah. And they're telling us, listen, what you're going to do is when we give you the, the cue, you're all going to r- walk and then you're all going to run down the ramp and you're just going to stay right there. They didn't tell us Steve Austin will be in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
as soon as you said that, it immediately brought brought back just the shock of turning turning that corner and just seeing that figure, the one and only. Oh my god, dude! I just unmistakable bald head and goatee, just like and that presence. Yeah, just, just standing there, he had a presence. Uh, pfft, the man, the that guy's mastered presence. Yes, he's mastered presence. Yeah, and uh, and so we're all back there and we're all you know kind of like we're all exhausted actually right it's been a long fucking day which started like really early in the morning we were down in the lobby after finding out we were on the show yeah drive to san diego on the shuttle do smackdown which is in itself a long day clean everything up so yeah it's late it's yeah and we're exhausted and and they're like all right we're gonna give you the cue they give us the cue we run down the uh the aisle and sure shit steve austin's in the middle of the ring man and we're all standing next to each other do your thing. We're all, you know, kind of gaggled up in front of the ring, and Stone Cold starts his whole spiel. Yeah, welcome to WWE. Tough enough. We'll see who's tough enough, and we'll see this, and we'll see that, or whatever. He starts saying his thing, and he starts kind of looking over, and he looks at, he sees me, and he goes, "Hey, big guy, you think you can win this competition?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm the first person he spoke to, Ooh. and I'm big guy. <laughs> I'm big guy. I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. I won." <laughs> I won! <laughs> and he's like, hey, big guy, do you think you can win this competition? I go, I, if I'm tough enough, yeah. I think I'm tough enough. And he's like, that's what we're here to find out. But you got to understand, there are sharks in these waters. And you got to be a shark yourself. And he starts talking to everybody, and he starts saying his piece, and this and that and the other. And I'm excited. But I remember watching that episode and not coming off excited on the show. Mm. The show had portrayed me as terrified, like very like, but did the show portray you like that? Or is that just how you came off on TV? I, I feel oh. because like, it's hard to edit around what's on your face True. or what's coming out of you and how it's coming out of you. Right. So, you know, just in all fairness, did you, do you remember saying that in confidence, but then watching it back, having it come out as a little bit more just like, uh, Yeah. Of course, Poss- it's possible, right? So, like for example, when uh, during Luke's interview, Luke talks about his um, his little experience with Matt Cross and how when it was time for Matt to like speak up, Luke kind of did a, a, an impression of Matt as in like, uh, sir, sir, permission permission to speak. You're referring to the episode of Tough Talk, earlier. right? Right, right. Well, I don't remember it going like that. I remember seeing the episode and se- and seeing Matt Cross go permission to say something. Yeah. And I remember talking to Matt before all this years ago and Matt, you know, and I kind of venting about our elimination and him going, you know, dude, and I even said, like, can I say something? So it becomes a, you know, what do you remember and how do you remember? It? It's funny because I remember it as um, permission to say something as being very meek and small. Right. And I also haven't watched it in a very long time. Like, <laughs> I'm say- I want to save me watching the episodes for the actual watch long when all that shit finally moves to peacock but like i remember it the way i remember it is being very you know permission to speak right so it's interesting yeah right? it's how interesting. just time distorts that memory what, what you think you're you're carrying you're carrying across yeah how you feel like you're carrying across or what it feels like at the time what it feels like at the time what actually happens and then what they decide to show and how they decide to portray it right because the truth is this with when it comes to reality tv when it comes to tough enough Personally, I feel that there's a cutting room floor somewhere in Simi Valley where you're winning tough enough or I'm winning tough enough Mm. or Luke's winning tough enough. They can make anybody look any way they want, depending on the narrative they need to tell, depending on the point of the story. Right. Anyways, 
I'm getting a little ahead of myself. No, no, no. I think I think that's accurate though. Like if they if they go into a competition like Tough Enough that has so much potential for anything to change between translation, how it happened, how it's edited, the music they play behind it. Right. Like yes. man, that could change the entire mood of Bro. how an audience interprets something. I can't tell you how many times I I watched or I I was back then I'd watch the episode of Tough Enough and I'd walk into a room on the show. It'd be a scene where I'd walk into a room and you hear, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" I remember that. I remember yeah. walking to that room, and like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" Right. And but like them portraying this like ominous presence and not even doing, "Hey guys, what's going on?" But just showing this big broad motherfucker walking into the room who's being mean and like, yeah, <laughs> like just the music can frame so yes. much. And and that was used a lot in my portrayal. I feel right. So. uh that whole thing with Stone Cold happens. It's awesome. They throw us back in the bus, I guess, and off we go to the actual mansion. This this fucking. I think I think they took us to a hotel that night first, and then the mansion the next oh, day because right. they wouldn't bring it to bring us to the the mansion until the in like the dead, dead you're of night. You're so right, Jesus. You're right. They took us to a hotel in uh, I forget where, and then from there, woke up in the morning in the bus or shuttle we go. Yep. And then off to Simi Valley we go. Yeah. And that drive took a little bit, I feel. I don't remember. It did. No, we went through some like canyon country. This is like pretty off the beaten path. But yeah, fucking immaculate. Dude, we we pull the bus up and I see this castle, this honest to God fucking mansion. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, we're going to live here? And so we pull the bus up. The bus pulls up. And as we get out. Of the bus. Now, you tell me, do they let us explore the house first? Or as we get out of the bus, Stone Cold is immediately there with the trainers. It wasn't Stone Cold. It was we, we're we on the bus, and we just keep meandering around roads, driveways. Mm. There's like a little house up here. I'm like, is that it? It's like, nope. That's just a little side building for some reason. Maybe it's where they keep the gardening shit. But uh, this is starting to come back to me so clearly right now. This is crazy. It's like just left and right and up this long-ass driveway and we get to the top where there's this like big, like not courtyard, but just an area where you could have like five or six vehicles. Yes. Big fountain in the middle. Like a giant driveway slash courtyard. Right. With like staircases on, on your left side, your right side. And in the center of those staircases was Booker T, Bill DeMott, and Tristrace. That's right. So that so we essentially get out of the bus. And the contestants congregate in that space. Yep. And we look up and what do we see? Who do we see? We see Booker T. Cool. Yeah. That's Booker T. He had just come back from Impact. Right. He was doing commentary on SmackDown. He had just come back from Impact and he was doing commentary on SmackDown. I'm like, that's dope. I love Booker T. Trish Stratus, who had been gone for a minute. Yep. And it was like, holy shit, that's Trish Stratus. And then, what? Fuck. Drill Sergeant. And Bill DeMott. Every bit of build him up that he could possibly muster was there. Right. And By I, the way, he and I have been talking. He's 100% confirmed for the show. Nice. I am so stoked to talk to Bill yeah. about this 10 years later. That's awesome. So stoked. And so, and, um, and Bill DeMott's there, and immediately I go, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was hoping we'd get, like, Al Snow. <laughs> yeah. Someone that's going to be tough. At least but- it's not Bob fucking Holly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, oh, my God. That's, but at the same time, you know me, dude. We've been talking, so I'm I'm a giant WCW mark. Oh, sure. That's you, fucking Morris. That's you, Morris. No laughing matter. Ah, no laughing 
Goldberg's first. Dude, Goldberg's first. <laughs> That's right. And I was like, dude, I love Hugh Morris. I even liked him when he was General Hugh Direction. God damn it. <laughs> Hashtag Russo era. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to follow Russo era with a fart every time. Did some amazing stuff in WWF, obviously. WCW, <laughs> I, I, I liked that he tried everything. He just didn't have someone to just pull him back a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Like a Vince McMahon to pull When you him start back. coming out in like football pads or <laughs> hockey gear and you put the belt on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got a little crazy. Yeah. He came out to Iron Man. Like, <laughs> fuck off. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Bill DeMott's there and I'm like, oh, Bill DeMott's the shit. Like, I mean, I, but I'm already like, we have to brace ourselves. Yeah. Abused. Yeah. Because that's going to make for good TV. Right. Obviously. And if anybody knows exactly how to make Good TV abusing young hopefuls. It's Bill DeMott. <laughs> yeah. He's the master at it. And uh, so to answer your question, though, that's who was waiting for us. Mm-hmm. It was a brief introduction. And then it was like, I think even Bill DeMott said, have fun. Gesture to the house and ah. then let all of us like run around and, you know, explore. Right. Cameras were following us. We went, we found our beds. We found where we were staying with the cards and the, the car- letter and the from Steve Boss. The champion. That's when we oh, first saw the title belts dude. with the spinner. Yeah. T- oh, no, I don't, did the logo spin? I don't think it, the logo The logo didn't spin, but, but it, was it was the, the spinner, spinner belt. style belt. Yeah. And all of us had those little notes from Steve Austin. Oh, my God. Remember? I don't Red know envelope, had our names on that. them. Oh, I wish I had hold on, held on to that. I think I have mine somewhere. Ah, well, whatever the case, I do remember that. So, like, when he said have fun, I, I remember me and Matt and Martin just, like, running everywhere like kids. Yeah, Hot tub! Yeah. Backyard! Oh, sweet! Look at these beds! You ah. probably got into the kitchen and was like, optimum nutrition, yes, bro. protein, Gold pre-workout. Standard. I was all about, as soon as I saw optimum nutrition, I was like, these people know me. Yeah. These they, people. They listen to They're my app- people. They, they paid attention to the application. And they're like, what kind of foods would you like? Right. Or whatever. That person you spoke to at casting, they're like, we need to get him some more protein powder. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. So then like, so there's a, there's a part where the camera's following me by myself. And I'm exploring like, you know, the nooks and crannies of the house and kind of looking around. And then I'm by, I'm by myself in the kitchen. And I don't know if you remember, but there were like these uh, metal frame wire shelves. Yep. And they had like. That's where they had the supplements. That's where they had the supplements. And they had like something like 20 or 30 empty. Uh, uh, fuck, what do you call these things? Water bottles? No, like, yeah, but like shakers. Shaker cups? Shaker cups, yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> my bad, too many concussions. <laughs> they had like 20 or 30 empty shaker cups that you can grab and right. fill up. They were all there, but they were on this really rickety shelf, and my butt actually uh, accidentally bumped into one of them, and the whole thing. Oh, fuck. Domino down. <laughs> and I looked at the camera, and I went, oops. And I snuck out like I'm not cleaning that up. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that's going to be fun for TV. And that's what I started thinking. That would be fun for TV. Yeah. That would be fun for TV. I wish I had had that mindset going into this show. Like, I uh, I well, mean, eventually, I, I like, I've done some other reality TV. And that is the mindset that I brought to those other shows. And they were so much more fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, not that Tough Enough wasn't fun. But I allowed myself to have a good time and not just stress about how this was going to look or don't fuck up or whatever. So it's like having that mindset where it's like, if I were on the show, what would I want to see me do? Right. So I was like, that's going to be let's that would be fun yeah but i was also bracing myself for real competition i saw the guys i saw everybody i sized myself up and i said if this is an actual honest to god athletic competition i might not win every competition but i'm gonna hang in there yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do okay i came in in shape 
I, I thought <laughs> I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in like physically, aesthetically, like on point, like you look good. You've got wrestling experience. You've- I'll be okay. If this is, if physicality, if athleticism is part of the equation, I'll be okay. Martial artists. Mar- right. If promos are part of the equation, I'll be okay. Yeah. I thought again, um, kind of ways to justify confidence within yourself in a place that's literally looking to zap you of your confidence every minute of every day. The ultimate intimidating environment for an aspiring pro wrestler. Yes. And a pro wrestler that's like, I want to survive WWE culture, but to survive WWE culture, I have to figure out reality TV culture. God damn. That is such a good point. And it's, and and it's, it's like an obstacle in front of an obstacle in two worlds that are, are notoriously the lines between reality and fantasy are blurred right. constantly. Exactly. Constantly in both of them, which is why it was such a shitstorm of both pro wrestling and reality <laughs> TV. Well, from layers, layers upon Absolutely. layers upon layers of, of quote unquote reality and reality. Exactly. And so we're exploring the house and then we all kind of congregate back into a hallway. And in the hallway, somebody, somebody says like, I think it was you actually, you go, are you, are you like a beauty pageant person or something? And so Rima, like she whips her hair back and he goes, uh, yes, I, I'm you, Miss USA. Yeah. And you're like, you, you're the actual Miss USA. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, uh huh. And I was like, oh shit. I did not believe it. Yeah, you did. I, I'm like, fuck <laughs> off. no way. I didn't say fuck off, but I was not sold. So when you said you are the actual Miss, and she's like, yes, and she whips her hair back and stuff. I remember thinking like, that's crazy. We have a Miss USA in the house. Right. When they played that back on TV, the way you said you was hilarious. You? The, like the way she, but then the camera cuts to her and she's like, yes, I'm, I'm Miss USA. And they, and they shoot her in this angelic light. Right. And oh, I, Almost in slow motion, like here's our here, here's our our heroine for for this adventure. Yeah, love her, which I I I did have a great time with Rima, and she was cool with me. But Rima was kind of gnarly. Yeah, she, she had a she had a rough attitude. She did, and I that's it's it, it wasn't. I'm sorry, too many thoughts at the same time, and they all tried to come out at once. <laughs> um, I'm remembering that now, where it wasn't like you. It was like no, you're not. It was so deadpan. Maybe I maybe I said you after no, you're not. But I remember I can see it happening now. She's like, yeah, I'm I'm Miss USA, and I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> I was not sold. You were not sold. But if you watched it on TV at the time, the way they they portrayed her immediately, this is how they're introducing Miss USA right. to an audience, a reality TV show slash pro wrestling audience. God, they're not audience. gonna. They're not gonna introduce her some dismissive way like any of us schmucks. Right. This is someone that's won an actual beauty pageant competition. She's broken barriers through her uh, religion and her ethnicity. She's the first. You know, I believe the first ever um, Muslim um, uh, Miss USA. I think so. Yeah. So like, so they were gonna give her the treatment, of course. Right. But it was like, God damn. I didn't know that at the time. Right now we're live and I'm like, oh shit, that's Miss USA. Yeah. It wasn't until I saw it on TV that I was like, well, that's weird that they would present her so angelically and that's mm-hmm. not who she is in a sense. I imagine that some of the production when they were like, when I when they had me, or not had me say, when I said, because um, they didn't ask me, that came out wrong. But it was like, oh, this is a great way we can introduce Rima. Just have this guy just be like, wait, so were you like a pageant queen or something? Because I definitely got those vibes from her. Just, I don't know what it was. I, I don't know if she was doing this shit. Or- yeah, it was just something like, what? 
what is your deal? Like, and I, I may have been kidding at the time for all. I, I think that's why I was like, no, you're not. Because I was probably kidding when I was asking. Like, right. like what are you, a pageant queen? She's like, actually, I'm Miss USA. No, she might have like, we, what it was is that we were actually getting to know each other in that space, in that hallway space. Yeah. We're all actually just kind of sitting down because that hallway space we, had this beautiful view of the back. And we could finally talk. And we could finally talk. So now we're catching up and we're like learning about each other. What's AJ, Mike, or Zachy, or whatever, you know, uh, Ryan, where are you from again? Oh, wow. You know, um, I forget where he's from. Indianapolis, I want to say. Indiana. Uh, Cleveland, maybe? Maybe. Oh, I thought it was Indiana. Maybe. Well, whatever the case. We're learning learning about each other. And and I think she gave a very like pageanty response. Oh, yeah. Well, and and you said something like, what are you, a pageant queen or something? And she legit was like, Actually, yes. Yeah. And you're like, what? You? No. <laughs> and she, yeah, so we're learning about each other. We're getting to know each other. And um, it's time to find our beds. We find our beds. We put our stuff there. And I guess it's time, like, to go to train. I guess it's time to train. Everybody put your boots on. Right. Everybody put your workout gear on. And off we're going to walk the walk down the hill, down the outside hill. the hill, backyard to the this uh, stables. It and was it horse was, stables. It was a horse it was, stable. It was an equestrian estate. That's right. That we were on. Yes. By the way, if anybody's curious, uh, there's like a website where uh, for this location. It's called the Hummingbird Nest Ranch in Simi Valley, California. Really? And if you Google it, there's a website for it. You can take a virtual tour. It talks about... Things that have filmed there. I don't think it mentions Tough Enough, but... They filmed a couple of reality they shows They filmed a there. bunch of shit yeah, there. like and some it, Bachelor shows. I think so. Yeah. It's just... And it, again, it is gorgeous. It's definitely worth a Google if you want to check it out. But yeah, it's Hummingbird Nest Ranch, Simi Valley, California. You just Google that. I'm sure the website will come up. And it's... Yeah. It's every bit as beautiful now as it was back then. But yeah. An equestrian estate, um, which is why the backyard was had just... The size of a football field of just beautiful grass. It was enormous. It was huge. It was enormous. Even the walk from our actual main house down to the training facility, the uh, the stables, that was a hefty walk. It was. And it was downhill, which was awful because when we were done training, we'd have to walk uphill to get back to the house. <laughs> we're all tired and beaten up. Yeah, man. And so like immediately, it's like, all right, we're getting geared up to go training. And it was like, oh, here we go. Now the real competition starts because this show doesn't start until everyone's exhausted and hurting and crying. Right. That's, <laughs> right. That's, the, that's, that's the point of the show. Yeah. So I'm bracing myself for like, all right, here we go. Training session number one. Yeah. Here, and Bill DeMott's here and all this stuff. So like it's going gonna, it's gonna to get rough. Right. You know what? I'm going to check the counter again. We're coming up on two hours and 45 minutes. I feel like how much more do you think we have? Oh, geez. I don't know. Okay. I'm asking because I'm debating whether or not to like do just kind of a split here. You and I are going to keep talking, <laughs> but I'm like, I feel like do we do we split this here and do make this a part three? My gut's telling me we do. All right, because if you, I mean, you canceled your appointment, so we have nowhere to fucking be. We've gotten again nothing but time. This is already two hours and forty five minutes. You and I could keep going. And are going to keep going in this moment in actual time. Got it for at least like another hour, right. hour and a half. I would think. Yeah. Which means probably another two hours or so. <laughs> so at this moment, I'm just going to bring this episode to of Tough Talk to a close. Uh, you and I are going to keep right on going. I'm just going to hit you know pause and then record right again. But I think we've covered so much once again. And thank you for going into such extensive detail with anything. Again, 
you're you're going over shit that's jogging my memory. So I'm <laughs> stoked about that. It's been a blast. Um, and now we are at the moment on the show that the competition is really starting. Steve Austin is about to show up in the most fucking spectacular way possible. Yeah. And um, all that. And we're going to be wrapping up Michael Zaki's story in Tough Enough and in pro wrestling as a whole. The next time uh, you join me on Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch. So stay tuned, everybody. Um, let's see. Ariane will be coming up next week. I'm pumped for that. I hope you are, too. And uh, yeah, I'm AJ Kirsch. He's Michael Zaki. Yes, and uh, all of you are just going to have to wait a little bit longer for part three with Michael Zaki. And part three will not drop next week, but the following week. Next week is going to be my much-anticipated interview with Ariane, who I'm sure you remember had that now infamous moment on the show when she told Steve Austin that her favorite match was Melina versus Alicia Fox. You know we're going to get into that and a hell of a lot more. She had a run in WWE. She is now involved in a ton. Anyway, that's next week. The week after is part three with Zaki and... I cannot wait for everybody to hear that part as well because we get into his uh, the bulk of his experience on Tough Enough, but also Zaki is in a place where he's completely removed from pro wrestling. He doesn't watch. He doesn't read the dirt sheets. He doesn't go to shows. And I think that is so, so rare in somebody who was at one point so deeply entrenched in pro wrestling. Uh, and I'm just really excited for all of you to hear next week with Ariane and the following week, part three, with Michael Zaki. Once again, please rate review uh, on Apple Podcast. You can subscribe at thetoughtalkpod.com. Sign up for early and ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and a whole lot more by signing up for the Money Talks tier at patreon.com slash AJ Kirsch. And finally, if you want to advertise on Tough Talk with AJ Kirsch, shoot an email to aj.kirsch at hotmail.com and we'll get the conversation going. So until next time, I'm AJ Kirsch. Take care, y'all.